Blog Talk Radio. With those first sounds, for me miles, it's DJ my name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West, 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 West Foundation. West, Foundation. West. What is West? West, 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 what we want, we want, we want to do is we want to impart on these young people that we have opportunity to, uh, to coach, coach, coach. That you got to work every day. You got to work every day to be successful. You can't take any days. You can't take any days off. Even when you don't feel like getting it done, you got to get out there and do it. Hello, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. It is November 24th, 2020. Welcome. We are excited to have you here with us. We got a great lineup ready for you today. And we got some Citadel coaches, um, both from the Charlie Taft era and the Kevin Higgins era, era excuse me. And then we're also going to have a sports agent to finish out the night. We are looking for some great conversations, some old war stories, and just a good old time. But first, once again, the West Foundation. Who is the West Foundation? About four years ago, we started the West Foundation um, down in my hometown, Conway, South Carolina. And, and really, our purpose is to help kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. Now, West, West stands for working equal success. We want to make sure that the kids understand that they have to work, but at the same time that their sport is going to end at some particular time, and we want to help equip them with tools to help them be successful. Now, we do that from a various amount of ways. One of the big things that we do is we have a camp in the summertime. Uh, we also started doing some other sports clinics. Of course, COVID has stopped us from doing those things, but we look to as soon as we can get back out and interact with our kids face-to-face to get back on the camps and the clinics. And then we also do some seminars, our Success Beyond Athletics. Um, seminars that's going to hit, uh, my favorite one is financial literacy. We're going to talk about mental wellness. We're going to talk about dealing with police officers. We're going to talk about recruiting, academics. We're going to talk about etiquette. We're going to just give the kids some things that's going to help them be successful whenever their sport ends. And actually, even while their sport is going on, they can use some of these things. So that's our focus. Our focus is on the student athlete and helping them find success, whether that's at the end of their high school career, at the end of their collegiate career, at the end of their professional career. Whenever that is, we want to help give them some tools for that. Now, one of the things I like to do is we always have a thought of the day. And our thought of the day today is why. What is your why? You know, I was talking with a couple of friends of mine the other day, and we were talking about Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. 
Now, you probably don't remember, but Mike Tyson actually knocked Buster Douglas down. And as Buster, I saw a little special on Buster. As he was laying there, his mom just recently passed. And as he was attempting to get up, his mom's conversation with him was going through his mind. His why was he wanted to make his mom proud, even though she had already passed on. But that was his why, his mom. I truly believe if Buster Douglas' mom would not have passed, he wouldn't have got up. But he did get up. And when he got up, he fought and he was fighting for a reason. So as we ask that, what is your why? What is your why? Why do you do what you do? What is your purpose? What do you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Big question is, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is it? Why do you play the sport that you play? Everybody has a different why. And the key is, you have to figure out what your why is. Because if you figure out what your why is, you'll be able to discover, excuse me, if you discover what your why is, you'll be able to live in alignment with your purpose. And once you live in alignment with your purpose, then you're going to have an opportunity to go on and soar above and beyond anything that you think that you might be able to do. But the key, the first thing you got to do is figure out what your why is. Because for some people, they're just doing it because they're good at it. I've had a guy, um, a young man that played for us at one of the institutions that I coached at, and he's a full scholarship kid. And going into his sophomore year, he says, I don't want to play anymore. I was like, why not? Like, I don't love the game. Well, why are you here? Well, I was good. You all to say y'all going to pay for my school, so I was going to let you all do it. But he didn't have a why. If you figure out your why, then you're going to go on and, and overcome a lot of obstacles that come in your way. Now, as you overcome those obstacles, I'm not saying you're always going to achieve your ultimate goal. But as you overcome those obstacles, you're going to develop a work ethic. And you're going to develop some things that can help you be successful. Because the bottom line is we want to be successful. Yes, I know almost everybody wants to play professional sports. But here's the bottom line with that as well. There's a lot of guys that play professional sports that five to ten years down the line, they're not doing very well for themselves. And a lot of times it's because they didn't take care of the things that they're supposed to take care of. And if you have that why under control, then you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do. Now, today I got a co-host, a young man that uh, was with me down at the Citadel, played for me down at the Citadel, Hamp Smith. Hamp, how's everything going? It's going good, Coach. I appreciate you having me on today. I'm excited, excited to be here. Hey, man, we're excited to have you. We're excited to have you. Now, you're down at William Jewell College in Kansas City, Missouri, right? Yes, sir. Now, what are you coaching yes, down there? Yes, sir. Sir? What are you coaching down there? Um, I am coaching the defensive line. Um, so we're we're a three four front and so I got three guys and it's uh it's my first time having my own room, so it's it's been an adventure so far and I'm loving it. Well good. Congratulations on getting your own room. That's always a big deal. Now yes, sir. how has no COVID doubt. how has COVID affected you all so far? 
Um, well, it was pretty tough uh, because we didn't find out until late July that they were canceling the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we moved back the start date for the kids. Um, and then when they came in, because they hadn't been here since spring break, we had a two-week acclimation period where they right. did socially distanced workouts uh, four days a week and just kind of got back in shape because not a lot of kids had access to stuff because of COVID. And then we kind of got five good weeks of uh, workouts in in the weight room and then we were allowed a three-week uh, high-risk period, which means that we could actually practice and, you know, put our hands on people. Um, but before that, we could have one skill day a week, but it had to be socially distant. So it was kind of tough as a first-year coach, being a D-line guy, you know, everybody's out there and everybody with the D-line and the O-line can – get a lot of work done but you know when you can't put your hands on people and that's your job you know it makes stuff a little tough mm-hmm. so very tough um you know but my kids you know they worked real hard they're eager to learn and you know the first first week was kind of rough when we started going full because you know that was the first time they saw live bullets in the scheme that we're running because we're doing stuff a lot differently than they did it in the past. So breaking a lot of bad habits, or not bad habits, just different habits. Um, But we made a lot of progress and got so much better. Um, We ended up uh, getting shut down with three practices left um, because we had some COVID cases break out. Um, But, you know, we got – I think nine out of twelve practices in, so it was it was really good. Now, did you all have a spring game? Yes. Or excuse me, a fall game? Well, it was supposed to be the last Saturday, so we were supposed to practice Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then mm-hmm. Wednesday we had kids get symptoms and they got tested, and then Thursday around one thirty we found out we had our first positive test. And so they just kind of shut everything down. Um, And then we had a couple more come in. And so they just decided to quarantine the whole team because they they would have to go back and watch practice to see who touched who and all that kind of stuff. So they ended up just quarantining everybody. Um, So that was tough to not not get the fall game because, you know, as a coach, you kind of felt like you were picking up a little bit of momentum and felt like things were starting to come together and we're mm-hmm. starting to, you know, have some co cohesiveness with the defense. And, you know, the last two practices that were the biggest ones that you were excited about to see how far we had actually come, you know, get canceled. So that was a little rough, but, right. you know, the kids handled it well. Well, good. Good. The, um, are you all going to have a spring schedule? Um, yes, sir. So uh, we play in the GLVC, which is the Great Lakes Valley Conference. Um, and so there are eight teams in our conference, and they split the conference into two divisions, so four on one side and four on the other. 
and we're going to play a scrimmage against an uh, opponent in the other division. Okay. Um, I think it starts March 27th. And then we have a three-game regular season schedule against the other three teams in the West. And then the team with the best uh, record in the West plays the team with the best record in the East for the conference championship. And then the twos play each other, the threes play each other, and the fours play each other. So it's a okay. nice little four-game plus a scrimmage um, schedule. So, you know, not ideal, but at least we're, we're going to get to play some games. So that's exciting. Right. right. Now, they're not, not going to have a playoffs on Division Two, right? Uh, I think so. As of right now, no, oh. they are not. Okay. 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 Cool. So, cool, cool, cool. So, so you get. You know, the biggest thing that I think people. You know, I think the biggest thing people aren't realizing, like with the whole sports aspect, is how expensive the testing is. Right. You know, when you got to test 130 people three times a week, it gets a little pricey. Yep. So, it gets real pricey. Yeah. Real pricey. No doubt. So that's and and that's why I was I, I figured a lot of the one double A's and I didn't even think some of the group of five would be able to afford it. Um but they've been able to do so. So that is definitely a, a big factor. because um, they do want to make sure they can so mm. now um how do you think that's going to affect uh next season? Um that's that's a good question. I, I think it's going to be a little bit different because it's going to be hard to get out and recruit mm-hmm. in April. Um, you will have the month of May, though, so it won't affect you as much as I thought it would initially when they were talking about playing seven or eight games. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing is if you can get into schools also to see kids in the spring. Right. And then, um, you know, I don't think it's going to cut any from summer workouts. So it's really only a month and a half, but mm-hmm. we get to start practice um, end of February. I think February 19th is the first day that they're going to let us go. So okay. it's not quite as long. And so I, It'll be interesting to see how health-wise everybody is um, right. coming out of it. That's, that's kind of been my one concern on how the turnover would be. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is true. But, that is true. And, you know, COVID is, is, is running rapid again. They're saying that it's going up. And last week um, they broke the previous record, which was made the previous week, of the number of games that was canceled. Last week you had Ohio versus Miami, Ohio canceled. You had Utah State versus Wyoming canceled. You had UTEP versus UAB, Arizona versus Colorado, Washington State versus Stanford, San Jose State versus Fresno, UNLV versus Colorado State, UL Monroe versus La Tech, Navy versus South Florida, Wake Forest versus Duke, Michigan State versus Maryland, UNC Charlotte, and UNC Charlotte had a lot of games that's been canceled, versus Marshall. Central Arkansas versus ULL, Ole Miss versus Texas A&M, and the one that happened at the last minute was Clemson versus Florida State. 
So there's a lot of games that's being canceled because of COVID. And uh, that's that's kind of crazy. But it's, it's kind of where we are. So we again, want to keep the kids' health at, at the top of the uh, priority list. Now, we did have some good yeah. games last week. We did have some good games. Yeah. You know, uh, Liberty, um, who's they won the last two weeks kicking field goals in the last minutes or the waning minutes of the game. This time they had another opportunity to win over NC State. And unfortunately for them, they got their field goal blocked. So NC State held on to beat Liberty. Um, so you know, yeah, the question is, you know, how does Jim Liberty? How good? Yeah. I, I think they're a really good football team. Yeah. You know, I think they're a little one-dimensional. Okay. Um, but they're they're really good at running the football and they play defense. Right. So, you know, when you can control that clock and you play good defense, you got a shot. Yep. No doubt about and they it. usually and don't beat the themselves. Quarter. Yep. Get the game to the fourth quarter and let's see what happens. So, yes, sir. Now, the, um, yeah. over in Oklahoma. I thought it was pretty crazy looking on ESPN and seeing North Carolina State upsets Liberty. I never thought I'd see that headline. Yeah, exactly. 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 Because, again, if Liberty just make the kick that they made the last two weeks, they win. Yep. But, hey. And they've still got Coastal Carolina. On their schedule yeah. as well. Which Coastal Carolina is playing really well. Which we can go that, on to Coastal Carolina. They beat a, a good app team. Um, and beat them pretty soundly. You know, they, they that have was one of the best. One of the best games I've seen in a long time. Right. I watched it from start to finish. <laughs> Two really good football teams. And, yep. you know, Coach Chadwell's offense is – it's fun to watch, and, you know, App State just plays fundamentally sound football, mm-hmm. and that's fun to watch for me too. So right. it was a great one. Yeah, it was. It was. Good to see my shots going to get another win, though. Now, the question is, which we're talking, how they drop after they beat a good App State team, they dropped the spot. They went from 15 to 16. Come on, man. It we doesn't get, make we any sense. more respect than that. No. Yeah, I mean, it. The rankings, it it doesn't make sense. It just right. doesn't make sense to me some weeks. Yeah. So. Yep. You know, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they finish up the year. Yep. They're playing good on both sides of the football right now. Yeah, they too. are. They're playing really good on both sides. They are. They are. And. uh so we'll, we'll see. We we'll definitely keep our eye on them. Um, Cincinnati, they had to come back and beat UCF, uh, where they found a way to get it done. They won 36-33. And then another game that, you know, you had your eye on because Indiana is playing some really good football right now. And Ohio State got a pretty good lead on them, and Indiana came back and made it into an interesting game there at the end. But Ohio State was able to hold on and win 42 but Indiana is saying, hey, we, we're trying to make some noise, and we're, we're forced to be reckoned with. So Indiana is definitely a team to keep your eye on for the rest of the year. No doubt. And it was, it was interesting to see um, Justin Fields get flustered at the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. he, he played, played rough. 
Yep, and, and a question. Uh, one one question was asked. Where that game? I'm sorry. Indiana just plays 50 cents, and they yeah. control that clock. So, yep. I mean, I love watching them this year. Yeah. So a question was asked, will that game cost Justin Fields the Heisman? Well, they won, so I don't think it will. But he definitely didn't wasn't his best. Um, but another team to keep your eye on is Northwestern beat a really good Wisconsin team, seventeen to seven. Yes, uh, they did. Northwestern, and of course, we got a bunch of Citadel coaches on tonight, and and one of those guys that was on that staff is Marty Long, and he's on that Northwestern Northwestern staff. Um, so they they're having a pretty good year so far. And then okay. the the yeah. one uh, another one just staying in the Big Ten was Michigan had to go to and actually Rutgers had to lead and and allow Michigan to get back in it, um, but Michigan in three overtimes ended up beating Rutgers. Yeah, that was not one that I expected to be close at all. Right, right. Definitely not that many overtimes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then Iowa beat Penn State, and Illinois beat Nebraska. So it's uh, the Penn States and the Nebraska, the normal uh, perennial powerhouses are, are down a little bit. And uh, but going back to uh, going to Conference USA, UTSA, which is, again, I, I spent three years there. Um, I was part of the, the first two times that UTSA got bowl eligible. But for the third time in program history, um, they became bowl eligible with a win over Southern Miss. Um, they won that game 23 to 20. Um, then in the SEC, Bama's trying to make a statement on behalf of, of that they should be number one, and they sort of blast Kentucky 63 to 3. Um, UGA. I didn't expect it to be close. Right. I said I didn't expect the Alabama one to be close, but I didn't expect mm-hmm. it to be 60 points. Right, exactly. Now, the one that I didn't expect to be as close was Georgia and Mississippi State. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, but Georgia was able to pull it out, but I thought it would be a, a a little bit different than that. And then you had Auburn well, beat Tennessee. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, you know, Mississippi State's the first team this year that's really, I feel like, has just stoned Georgia in the run game. I mean, they only had eight yards rushing the entire day, and right. if Daniels doesn't come back and have the game he had, I think they lose that one for sure. Right, right. But here's the thing now, Mississippi State, they, they started off with a bang and with beating LSU. Um, and then the other win against, is against Vandy. Uh, so they're, they're putting up some yards, putting up some points, um, and playing some close games. Well, they still got to get over that hump. And that's one of the things with, with LSU. They didn't outlast Arkansas 27-24. to 24, But the games that LSU lost, they've given up a lot of passing yards. Um, and that's one of the things that Mississippi, Mississippi State was one of the first ones, I guess, to sort of bring that out and let everybody see that, hey, you can, you can throw the ball on these guys. Which, of course, LSU lost a lot from last season. So uh, they're, they're still a really good football team. And I'm interested to see um, when they get out there and play uh, Alabama, how that's going to look. But that's a couple weeks away. Yes. Um, Of course, the talk of all last week was 
USC, um, letting Coach Muschamp go. Again, as a coach, you never want to see that. And again, you feel for uh, definitely the assistant coaches. Um, but they had a, they fought hard, but they came a little short against Mizzou. And uh, mm-hmm. what's going to happen with their USC? Um, see who they're going to bring in to to be the next head coach in University of South Carolina. Um, um, we'll coach, let me ask you this: What who would you vote for for that job? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, just one of the things that I think, and again, it's just my opinion. They're probably going to go with a sitting head coach. Um, if they didn't go with a sitting head coach, I think the first guy they should be calling is Tony Elliott over at Clemson. Um, but I know Billy Napier has done a really good job down there at ULL, and he's been one of the top teams uh, since he in the uh, Sun Belt since he took that job. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure his name is going to he's going to be looked at as well. And, and Coach Chadwell's name has been brought up. So, um, yes, sir. I saw that as some, well. Definitely some good choices they're going to make. And I think one of the big things they got to figure out, am I going to go with a sitting head coach? I'm going to go with a coordinator that's done a really, really good job, um, such as a Tony Elliott. Um, so it's several different ways you can go. And we just got to wait well, and see what happens. You know, I don't know if you've heard this one, but one name that I've heard floating around that I think is kind of interesting is uh, Shane Beamer. Mm-hmm. You know, no coordinating experience, but – you know, football family, good yep. resume, yep. high energy guy, been around winning programs. Well, he was at South Carolina. Yeah, he's been at yep. South Carolina. So he knows the yep. lay of the land. So that's that's definitely uh, uh, another good possibility. Yes, for sure. So, hey. But here's what, I, here's what I think is going to happen. It's going to probably happen here in the next two weeks. Um, signing dates, December the 18th, if I remember correctly. Um, so mm-hmm. it's not that far away. Um, so they're going to make sure they're going to have somebody in. And then the other big thing, with this new rule that's supposed to go into effect in January where kids get a one-time free transfer, um, they want to make sure they got a coach in place so they can go on and recruit the guys that they have on campus. Uh, make sure that they don't go anywhere. And so we'll see. It's, I imagine the next 10 to 12 days they'll have a new head coach. And uh, I'm interested to see which direction they go. But, hey, we're going to go to a little break, and we got a, a group of guys getting ready to come on that were part of the dream season down at the Citadel, and, and they definitely uh, left the mark on me because I was one of the players down there. But we're definitely looking forward to getting them back. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back here shortly.
Hello, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show, and we have a great group today. We got a couple of guys that I had the opportunity to play for. We have uh, Jeff Bleemer. How you doing? Yeah. We got Jim Peel. Go dogs. We got Al Steve. Hey, want to wish everybody happy Thanksgiving. We got Al Simonson. Happy, you're the man. Happy to be on. And we got Dave Salazzo. How you doing, Everett? Go dogs. Hey, just want everybody to get an opportunity just to introduce yourself. Just tell us um, what year you was at the Citadel, how long, and where you went um, after that. And we'll start with Bleed. All right, Bubba. Ten years at the Citadel. Best ten years of my coaching career. Okay, from there I went to uh, East Tennessee State. Six years. Went to Ohio. Two years. CFL for four years. And been down here in South Carolina once again. Ten years at Game Bay High School. Nice. Nice. Peel. Joe. I got there in the 88, stayed till 1999, uh, went to uh, Buffalo for a couple of years, then spent 16 years at the Butler University, and now I'm retired to the beaches of Folly, South Carolina, and I'm very much <laughs> glad to be back in South Carolina. Nice. Coach Seagraves. All right. Uh, what did you know, I was an assistant coach in 1986 and uh, was part of Charlie's staff for 10 years through 1995 and then went on and became the head, you know, because of our successes, the Citadel got an opportunity and, and took the head coach job at Elon University. Oh, was Elon Cotton then, Coach. I'm sorry? I said it was Elon College then. Oh, that's right. He, uh, yeah, we had a lot of change. Elon College, Elon University. <laughs> Fighting Phoenix. Or the Fighting Christians of Phoenix. Exactly. Cosimo. All right, here we go. Hey, uh, I got the record on all you guys. 87 to 99, so that's 13 years at the Dell. Hated to leave when I did. At the time, I went to Bowling Green. <laughs> And I uh, was there just one season with Gary Blackney. And after one year there, when Urban Meyer came in, we all got shipped out of there. So, fortunately, I hooked up with Slaz again and Charlie and Ralph and Gary Blackney at Maryland. So, I was there for 10 years to 2010. Great run, a lot of fun. And then, um, even though it didn't end well for no reason, I ended up down at Central Florida for a year working for Slaz's guy, O'Leary, and then came back and then headed out to uh, University of Illinois, basically for three and a half years. You know, a late coaching change there kind of left me hanging, so I ended up back at Maryland on uh, DJ Durkin's staff for the better part of three years. And right now, currently a free agent looking to find my next gig again, so I'm, I'm hunting <laughs> that right now. Nice, <laughs> nice. And then last but not least, Coach Salazzo. Um, 
I had the good fortune to play for uh, Bobby Ross at Citadel. Uh, Ralph Friedrich was my position coach, defensive line, graduated in 1977. I coached high school football for seven years in Charleston, um, and I bounced around a little bit. Um, came back, I, I coached at the Citadel for Coach Taft and all the guys on the radio show tonight. Uh, for 10 years, from 80 to 99. Went to Georgia Tech with Coach O'Leary for two years, and then I went to um, University of Maryland with Ralph Friesen for 10 years and Al Siemenson. So Al and I coached together for 20 years. Wow. You believe yes, that. Sir. Um, and we're not that old, though. Um, and then um, I went to UMass. <laughs> And then I decided to get out of college coaching. I was a head high school coach for uh, three years, and now I have the good fortune of being a defensive line coach again at a high school here in Connecticut, Farmington High School. I am coaching my son who plays nose tackle for me, Christopher, and he's sitting right here beside me. Nice. Well, how old is the football son? What's that? How is it the coach? I lost you, Amber. Oh, I was saying, how is it to coach your son? Coach my son? Yeah. How is that? Oh, tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Well, good. Good. Now, what year is he? Uh, he's just a junior. Uh, this year, unfortunately, like I said earlier, uh, we didn't have a football season. We did, we did practice. Uh, right. But we didn't play any games, and uh, we're hoping to play some games in the spring is what they're talking about. And then next year will be his senior year. So uh, hopefully I can, get, I can get somebody in here to recruit him. Maybe he'll go to the Citadel. <laughs> that will be fun. That will be fun. So, now, hey, now, you all had, I think you can, nobody's going to argue that that is probably the winningest era. In Citadel history, when you all was down there, we can go around. What was your fondest memory? And um, we'll, we'll go. I'm starting with Salas. What was your fondest memory while you was at the Citadel? Well, there's so many of them. For it, obviously, when we won the uh, SoCon championship, uh, that was the greatest feeling in the world. Um, when we beat Arkansas at Arkansas, uh, when we beat South Carolina at South Carolina, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, like Coach Bleemer said earlier, uh, it was by far the best 10 years of my coaching career of life. I never enjoyed coaching anywhere more than I did at the Citadel. So my fondest memory is the kids that we coached, uh, the players that we coached. Um, you know, everybody's into stars now, you know, coaching three-star or, or recruiting four-star, five-star guys. As we all know, uh, most of the guys we recruited at the Citadel, maybe they were one-star guys. Um, but the bottom line is they were football players. And they would run through the wall and come back and run through it again the other way. And they were just tremendous people that were so coachable. 
and so many of them uh, that were also just like walk-ons ended up earning scholarships and having great careers. One of them, mm-hmm. your good friend, LaQuincy La Powell, yeah. played defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so my fondest memories by far is the players that we coached that were just tremendous people and just played tremendous effort and uh, played and they played for the love of the game. That, that was that's my fond, fondest memory. Good, Simo. Well, uh, like Slot said, there's so many. But if I had to pick one, well, before I pick that one, you know, beating Army a couple of times after we were just leaving there and coming with Charlie down to the Soto, beating Army two out of three times when we played him was was pretty special, also. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. those games out at airports, even though we lost them both. We played them twice, really close. I can't tell you the scores, but they were like a touchdown or ten point margins of of uh, loss or their victories on those two games. But you know, the big wins over Arkansas, South Carolina were great. But nothing, nothing tops uh, you know winning the Southern Conference championship and doing it at Furman and you know running up that hill. I remember Robbie Briggs carrying me up that little hill in the locker room. It was just you know, one of those things that, you know, I think about all the time. That that ring from winning that championship that year was special, and kind of mm-hmm. like Slot said too. You know, make making the most of our opportunity there, and you know the players that we had making the most of their opportunity, and just coming together as a team and year in and year out competing. And you know, from the time we got there in '87, and you know, we didn't all stay the same amount of time, but. Those 13 years was a heck of a run, and it was a real special time in, in my coaching career, too. Good. Coach Grace. <laughs> well, Simo and, and Salaz did a great job of summing it up but, um, and putting everything together. But really, uh, there were so many great memories. Obviously, what they've mentioned, I don't mean to be redundant, but beating Army twice and Navy twice and then going down and beating Arkansas at Arkansas when they were supposed to be a, you know, make a run at the Southeast Conference title. From what I'm glad I can see. remember. Um, yeah, down there in Arkansas. And then, obviously, South Carolina. Uh, one of my greatest memories about that game was when it got down the fourth and one. Mm-hmm. And we called time. And, uh, before the game, uh, Spencer Scott had come to me and handed a newspaper. Still gives me chills what does South Carolina have to do to this to win this game? Just show up. Anyway, mm-hmm. to make a long story fourth and one. We called timeout, and I'm thinking, okay, we run the triple option toward Kerry uh, Cash and. and uh, Lance Hans, our two All Americans, and I don't know if you remember this ever, but you guys were holding on the sideline, Charlie, and Spencer Scott was crying and just said, "Run it over me, run it over me, run it over me." And Charlie called the uh, uh, seven, the triple option, and tight end side to the left side where Spencer was, and Zach walked in. But mm-hmm. I that game, and you know Spencer. Uh, you know, ran, ran the play over him, and you know, he made a great down block inside their release. And the two All Americans on the backside 
uh, carried cash and, and Lance answered, took care of the rest, and cut off the backside. Uh, and then, like the other coaches have said, I think the culmination really of a lot of a great effort on the players' part and come together as a team was our win at Furman. Um, to, to me, that was probably the greatest victory of all because we had a couple shots. We had a shot out of at 88 up there and lost. And it was just a dog-eat-dog game, and, and we came out on top. It was a great win. Um, and, and, and as both Salazzo and Simo said, uh, you know, we, we had great players. I mean, with great hearts, and every one of them made the most of their opportunity. And the thing I'll I take from the Citadel, and I still love it today, is the motto that we had, team, T-E-A-M, together everyone achieves more. And I, I think that 92 team epitomized the true essence of team. Yep. Coach Peel. Uh, I got to uh, go there with Al Seagraves on the, the South Carolina game, but uh, probably my favorite moment of it all of uh, coaching was hearing that place go uh, quiet when we, you know, walked off with the victory. Everett, I got to ask, are you still pissed at Jack for not giving you the ball? <laughs> you know, when coaches talk about that situation, I was thinking, you know, if Jack would have given me the ball, we would have just walked in. But, hey, <laughs> I'm glad we uh, I'm not trying to stir anything up there or anything, but I, I just want to know that answer. But uh, uh, to be honest, my favorite memory of the Citadel was uh, 20 years later when I went back as a fan to a game and seeing the players, seeing how, you know, the the 18-year-old kids we recruited now were 45 to 50-year-old men, who they became and how good they were, how much fun to run into them. I was really disappointed we didn't get to do it this year and go to games. But really to see, you know, what we were all part of and, you know, you know, us as young coaches and, you know, how those guys matured and, you know, what they are just to say maybe you were part of their football career. To me, is, is a special and what it's really all about, uh, you know, to go back, you know, 20 years later and see that and, you know, looking forward to doing it for another 20 years, uh, seeing this rooting form, uh, you know, just a special place with really special people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then Bleed. Man, I'm glad you saved me for last. What time is this show over at? (laughs) 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 Uh, My favorite memory. I'll tell you what, man. Ten years of memories. All right, let's start. Let's start with my first year. All right, we came down here. Spring practice. These guys were not ready for this Charlie staff. They were not ready for Charlie staff. We came out there, spring practice, and, I mean, we were ripping and snorting and yelling at kids for making mistakes, and these kids were all shell-shocked. Jason Matthews, he comes up one day, timidly knocks on my door. And I said, yeah, Jason, come on in. He goes, can I close the door? 
because my office was right, right across from Charlie's. I said, yeah, close the door. And he goes, Coach, you know, I, I've been talking to the other offensive linemen, and, you know, we're making a lot of mistakes. We know that. But if we started talking, maybe if you didn't yell at us that, that much, okay, maybe, you know, we start learning the, the offense. I said, okay, I'll, t- I'll talk to Charlie about it. <laughs> then I went in and I talked to Charlie. And I said, Charlie, you know, we have dialed it up pretty good. He goes, okay, I'll tell you what. Tomorrow we're having a bunch of high school coaches from South Carolina down for our Saturday scrimmage. He goes, we're going to be positive. Tomorrow going to be praise day. No matter what they do, okay, we're going to praise them. All right, let's, let's go for it. So we get out there, and we got about 100 coaches standing behind the huddle. And we get a half-line drill. And Jason Matthews, the one who came to my door, right? If the guard is covered, you're supposed to rip inside. I know a lot of people out there don't understand triple op. But if the guard is whoa, covered, you're supposed whoa. to rip inside. Well, Jason Luke, he goes outside. Quarterback hit for a loss. I look over at Charlie, and Charlie's like, yeah, it's okay. It's praise day. It's praise day. <laughs> Very nice time, Jason comes up. Guard's uncovered. Supposed to loop. Jason rips. Quarterback gets hit again. I look over at Charlie. Charlie's there. He looks at me. He's like, eh, just cape. Puts a hands motion down. Keep your, keep your cool. All right. Very nice play. Come up. Guard's covered. Jason loops. The quarterback at Charlie's quarterback gets hit again. I look over at Charlie. The thermometer is going up. His face completely red. He takes his hat off. He rips his hat from his head. And he goes, Praise Day is officially over. We <laughs> start ripping into the kids. By the time we get done, all the high school coaches are back up in the stands. They were scared of us. So that was, that was the last Praise Day we had. Another great memory. Another great memory. Hugo. You're a Hugo. What a memory oh, yeah. this is. We play, play Navy. Okay, oh, all God. the wives are pissed off at us. Okay, because we dumped them off up at Jerry Nettles' camp up, uh, <laughs> up in Florence. So we're up there at the, up at the game. We're sitting in Charlie's uh, his, uh, lounge. And we're having a couple beverages. So we call our wives to see how they're doing. And, of course, I talked to Denise, and she's ripping me for letting them not bring them along up to the game. And I pass, okay, Charlie, it's your turn. Passing the phone around around to the different coaches. Anyway, thank goodness we win the game. So we get back down there. We're reviewing the film. And Seagraves, you were there. And I'll never forget Spencer Scott was my left tackle. And God bless him. I love that kid, man. And Spencer was as stiff as a telephone pole. But he'd <laughs> knock your head off, you know, coming off the ball. We had these big splits, and he could not cut off the Navy guy when they jumped in the gap. <laughs> so we're sitting there looking at the film, run generators, 
Okay, we have we have no power over Mount Pleasant anywhere else. So we have generators for the game or for the uh, for the film session. So Charlie keeps running back the film back and forth, back and forth. Blink. Why? Why? What's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> I said, well, he's not cutting the guy off. Why isn't he cutting him off? He keeps running it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, I get up. I threw the chair. I threw my chair against the wall. I said, all right, you son of a bitch. If you can coach him better than me, okay, find somebody else. I run out of the room, okay, because I'm ready to, I'm ready to hit Charlie. Marty Long comes out, and he says, please, just take it easy. Take it easy. He goes, it's going to be okay. I come back in. And Seagraves tells me later, Charlie looks over at Seagraves and said, what's the matter with him? (laughs) (laughs) I think you got to be kidding me. Anyway. All right. Let's see. Next next one. Okay. Gene Brown. Now, here's a classic. Gene Brown takes over over the helm. Okay. We're running half line in practice. And Rick Brodsky who is a, a former FBI agent. I mean, he's like the peel back king, okay, on the backside, just knocking linebackers and defensive backs on their ass. Anyway, he misses a block, okay, and the defensive end tattoos Gene Brown, who's our, I mean, he's our ticket. He's our ticket. He's laying on the ground. Looks like looks like he's knocked out. Okay, Charlie is ripping Brodsky up and down, up and down. Brodsky, I swear to God, he starts crying. He's there, coach. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. And I'm ripping him, and he's still crying, and Gene's still on the ground. Andy Clausen goes over, and he looks down at Gene. Gene opens his eyes. He goes, "I had you fooled, didn't I?" <laughs> he's faking it the whole time. <laughs> oh man, these kids I love him, man. Then up at Furman, we're going up there playing for the championship game. Oh yeah, driving rain. All right, Art Hearn, my backup center, comes up. He goes, Coach. Coach, I said, What? He goes. And I never, I didn't even pay attention. This is before practice starts. He goes, he goes, Copeland's not here. I said, what do you mean Copeland's not here? He was on the bus. <laughs> he goes, no, coach, he wasn't on the bus. So, I mean, oh, Hermes, he's sweating bullets, man, because he's going to be starting <laughs> against Furman for the for the championship game. So I go over to Charlie. I said, Charlie, Copeland missed the bus. And Charlie said, well, put Hern in. We'll go without him. We go through the we go through the Friday practice, and right at the end of practice, Copeland drove his motorcycle up because he was a fifth year senior. In the pouring rain, drove his motorcycle up. I look up and I see him running out of the locker room with his full gear on at the end of the Friday practice. Okay, with a big smile on his face, like nothing's happened. And he's standing there and he's standing. And Charlie has his back to him. He's giving us the old spiel, you know. Blah, 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 blah. And he turns around. He looks at Copeland. He goes, get out of here. Get out of here. Get back to the locker room. 
Copeland goes back to the locker room. Charlie gets us and the, the captains, uh, Lester and uh, um, Everett, and they said, well, what do you guys think? <laughs> he got the play. He got the play. <laughs> we all look at each other. He goes, he, goes, he got to play. So he told Copeland, he said, I'll tell you what, you better have the best game of your career. Because if you don't, win or lose, I'm going to run you until your ass bleeds on Monday. <laughs> and Copeland had the best game. I'll tell you what, we had that game, that offensive line I had, okay, uh, Morelli, Stevens, Copeland, Lance Hansen, Terry Cash. At the end of the game, we had 23 pancakes against Furman. Wow. Okay, so that after after looking at the film on a, a Sunday, Charlie, for the first time that I have known Charlie, he came in and he goes, man, those guys really played pretty good. I said, look at that. I said well, yeah, no kidding, man. He has never complimented my offensive line. And the whole time I was there. <laughs> but wow. those kids, and every one of them that played for me, okay, I remember George Thomas playing. I mean, George couldn't even lift his shoulder up. He had a shoulder, had a, a shoulder brace on, one of the toughest kids I ever saw. Uh, just player after player after player after player. Ten years yep. of those offensive linemen, unbelievable. Carlos Adams. Coach, I, I ran into somebody. I ran into somebody that uh, that ran that ran into Pat Chapman. Pat Chapman, another one. He, called, <laughs> he's, he he was a little different now. He was a Grateful Dead follower. And he was another great center. I, Sean Lyons. Another great center played in the Senior Bowl. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay, the only center I ever had that could reach actually reach a two-tech. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people out there don't want to talk about those who know about football. They don't want to talk about. Yeah, but hey, but I mean, hey, real quick, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back in two or three minutes. So just hold on. All right.
This is Devin. I'm calling from Orlando, Florida. Big Citadel football fan. How is everybody? Good. Good. Well, guys, listen, I won't bore you, and I've been listening to Coach tell his stories. They're fascinating. I got a quick one. A good friend of mine went to high school with was John Burton. He was a quarterback in 1995 over at the Citadel. I'm sure everybody remembers uh, John. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Good athlete, yep. played a couple of sports in high school. He invited me to the opening game, which was at the time against a Division II school called Newberry College in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I got a chance to hang out with him, and the, he had a decent game. The Citadel absolutely crushed Newberry. It, it wasn't even close. And after the game, um, he allowed me to uh, hang out with him and some of the guys, and I got a chance to meet him in an off-campus deal. So we got a chance to play. Now, he had been hitting that game pretty hard. Uh, he had uh, a mild concussion. When he came out of the shower, we realized that there was something wrong. He was not acting right. And I wonder if Coach remembers any of this about John. But uh, So we thought we were going to have to call uh, the paramedics, possibly an ambulance. When we turned around, John came out of the shower naked, and he was soaping up his cock. And that's when he bent me over the bed, and he stuck his dick about eight inches in my butthole. Now, that was the first time I had ever had that type of sex. You should have seen what he did with the peanut butter later in the night. Um, but John was extremely handsy and what he would do with his cock and balls after a football game was just incredible. Coach, do you remember any of this? I'm sorry. We got to get, we got to cut that off. We had to cut him off. I apologize. I apologize. Man, that is sick, man. That's sick. I apologize. I apologize. All right. Coach C. Grace. All righty. Uh, I'll tell you, I was, uh, before I go there to the story, one guy that I do want to mention that I'm sure all the other coaches feel the same way and players. Uh, I think, you know, I, the, no question in my mind, the guy that was the greatest catalyst was Charlie Taft. And he had a oh, tremendous yeah. impact on all of us, you know, to this day. 
I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about one of those slogans that he used during all those years at the Citadel. So, yeah, this one's for Coach Taff on behalf of everybody because he was a, a tremendous coach. And, uh, he, he, you know, he made it possible for all of us. I want to thank him. Um, I agree. You know, we I couldn't him. agree more, Al. One of the slogans um, was pride, poise, team. Oh, team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a great one. Pride, poise, team was a yeah. great one. Yeah. yeah. And who dares my win? Fact, when I became the head coach at the uh, at Elon University, uh, I didn't try to copycat Charlie, but I took the things that were very successful for us. We actually used the slogan "Pride Boys Team." Um, and it, yeah, anyway, you know, Charlie had a great impact on all of us. All right. Yep. So, yeah. Can I can story. I say something? Go ahead, Blaine. Okay, I I've been blessed to be around some of the greatest coaches. Um, in my playing and coaching career, uh, I start with Joe Paterno, uh, Dick Ramil, um, Coach McCartney out of Colorado, and I'll tell you what, Charlie Taft. In the ten years I've been there, he's right up there with them with the best, winning his coach at the Citadel, and I owe my uh, my college coaching career to him. He gave me the he gave me the opportunity to get into breaking the college coaching, and I I love that man from the bottom of my heart, and I appreciate mm-hmm. everything he's done for me, and I I just I I can't say enough about. It. I know we've yeah. had our differences, you know that's offense coordinator, offense line coach, but I'll tell you what he made me a better coach. He made me a better um, better human being. How to deal with kids. And I miss him each and every day. Every time yeah. I see his face, you know, when, uh, looking at uh, YouTube tonight, watching him, how young he was back in 1987. <laughs> you know, uh, I just, uh, you know, him and his family, real special to uh, me, and, me and Denise. You know, one of the Amen. things that – One of the Amen. things that I um, – as a uh, as a player, you know, I had opportunity. I coached for 20 years, um, or actually 25 years, excuse me. Um, I remember one day, Coach yelled at the left tackle um, and then turned around and told the right corner, the offensive right, great job. How he saw the whole field was amazing to me. Like I said, after coaching for 25 years, I still didn't have the ability to see everything like he did. Um, he was just a tremendous football mind, and uh, and he's he's definitely a, a guy that's missed. And 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 I wish we can I could pick up the phone and call him. Mm. I got a quick story for you. I got Go ahead, a quick story I could ever. Can you hear me? Yep. yep, go ahead. I um 
I interviewed with Charlie. I was, I was coaching at Guilford College, a Division three school in Greenville, North Carolina. And if you guys remember, I'm sure you do, they had the big coaches clinic in Turtle Beach um, every year. You guys remember that one? It was a great one. I don't know if they still have it. Yeah, they do. They still have it. Um, I was in I was in Myrtle Beach at the coaches clinic, and I ran into Charles. I'm not going to tell you where, <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, actually, it was uh, uh, 2001. If you can remember that place, that's going way back. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so Charlie said uh, we're going to bring you down for an interview. We need a defensive line coach. Uh, heard a lot about you, so I came down for my interview. Had a great interview. And um, I went back, and I was coaching girls softball at Guilford College. And this is a true mm-hmm. story. And I was, um, I was doing third base. I was the third base coach. And the guy I shared an office with, the offensive line coach, he was in center field yelling, Salazzo, Charlie Taft is on the phone. Obviously, this was way before uh, uh, cell phones. So he's yelling, hurry up. Charlie Tapp is on the phone. So, no lie, I took off running while the girl was uh, throwing a pitch. And I leaped over the center field field fence, ran up to my office, and, of course, Charlie hung up. (laughs) So I (laughs) I called Andy Clawson. I said, tell Charlie I'm back in my office. Call me back. Call me back. So I waited, I waited about 30 minutes. I think you guys were out of practice, and uh, mm-hmm. Charlie called me back. And the first thing he said to me is, and I'll never forget it to this day, he, he picked up the phone and he said, come on home, man. And I said, I'll be there tomorrow. And nice. I jumped so far, and I, I was back in Charleston. And, and nice. was the greatest to be able to coach back at my, my school, the Citadel. Yep. Now, now, Coach Salas, I just want you to know that that you caused some heartache for guys at times back in the day. (laughs) Because, you know, when when we got to camp, we couldn't leave campus, so we didn't see any women. But I just remember there was a time or two that there was a young lady out there in a bathing suit just sunbathing by the practice field waiting on Dave Salazzo. (laughs) (laughs) We were focused. That's for sure. (laughs) Hey, Everett. Yes, sir. Hey, going along with what you just said, Mm-hmm. So I used to live in the apartment there with, with you know my family there across from the stadium. Uh, right. And Salazar well, hey, to my house to go to the game. Who had it? Showstopper. Maybe we're showstopping. And my brothers came to watch us play. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, 
first, a great memory. I'll tell you what, and all the coaches I know agree. When you guys used to do the uh, wishbone and put up the defense on Friday practice before practice started, and you mm-hmm. guys would go in there and, and like cut block, and then run it back and come back and slow Rewind. motion. Yeah. Oh, Brewine. Yeah. Oh, yep. that Brewine. was classic. Yeah, I don't think Charlie quite got in there yet. You know, the practice was <laughs> <the practice. laughs> it was it was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that one say was uh we were up at and this is not you know, Charlie was intense now. There is not a more intense individual that I've ever met. A great competitor, okay. We're up. So when we tell these stories, it's not, you know, any knock on Charlie at all. It's, it, you know, some of the stories, um, like this one I'm about to tell, Charlie, hey, look, if you weren't getting it done, he was going to pull you. <laughs> so we're up at the Oyster Bowl, and you know, I think in first or second play, Gene Brown, he, he fumbled the snap. And Charlie, oh, that wasn't cutting it. I would practice that every day. How could he drop a snap? Okay, okay. So we'll be all right. So about the fourth, about the fourth or third play, I think it was third down, third play out of the game. Anyway, he calls a, a play to the right. Everybody goes right except Gene. Gene goes left. That's it. We're mm-hmm. getting Yankees. And I'll never forget, it was like, you know, I was up in the press box on the phone, and Bling, Bling ran down the sideline trying to talk Charlie off the roof. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Just give him another, give him another series. Ah, you know, I think he got an argument with his girlfriend or something. His head's not on right. Remember that, Bling? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yep, yep, yep. And, so Bling, Bling talks Charlie off the roof. Give him another series. He'll be all right. You watch. Anyways, Bling's over there talking to Gene. Gene, you got to get it done this series, buddy. Just calm down and play. Okay? Go out there and play. Well, Gene Brown, I think, scored about five touchdowns that day. Had over 300 yards rushing. Had a fabulous game. Yeah. Oh, man. A good decision. Hey, uh, hey, 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 before you go there, there's you, you started talking about quarterback, so a quarterback wanted to, just to check in and say hello. So go ahead, Coach Simo. So it's a lot. Yeah, How you guys doing? It's a CJ Haynes. Awesome. How you doing? Oh, CJ. I'm doing <laughs> it is great hearing all you guys together and, um, and hearing you guys talk brings back, obviously, a, a ton of memories and all the great times we had there at the Citadel. And um, I was sitting there thinking as I was listening to you guys, one of the things that we enjoyed the most was imitating all you coaches, that, that each and every one of you had your own little thing. And, uh, and there were certain guys that could imitate you guys better than others. I mean, Mike Wideman had Simo down perfect. Um, it, it just just a all of you guys together, obviously, with, with CT at the head, man, you guys meant so much and mean so much to all of us that came through that time. And um, I know personally for me, I, I owe a lot to all of you guys. I learned a lot. 
you know, you guys are talking about all the slogans and stuff, and, you know, Everett drugged me into coaching right right after I finished. And, um, you know, I've been coaching kids since I was 22 years old and still use all the slogans. You know, my favorite is who dares win. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah. use that a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I remember us getting in Coach Tap here all the time and those those little short down yardage, and if he hesitated at all, you know, me or Jack or somebody just getting his ear and, you know, who dares win. And he, we knew we were going to go for it on fourth and whatever, and, and we knew old Sands was going to pick it up. But, um, man, you, you guys had such an impact on all of us. And, you know, I, I tell the people all the time, you know, I had no intentions of attending the Citadel. I had um, already committed to go to West Point. And the only reason I would even talk to Simo was because he would always come and get me out of English class. He always showed up. It got me out of my English class, which I hated my English teacher. And he talked me into taking the visit. And um, the Citadel was the worst visit that I had. I was sick the whole weekend. It was Super Bowl weekend. Jack Douglas threw me away in the uh, in the hotel, and he went partying and left me by myself. But um, I, I remember getting on the plane, heading back to Florida, and said, you know what, this place feels like home. And, and it did. For the five years I was there, each of you gentlemen made that my home. You helped make me the man that I became, and I am forever, forever indebted to you all, Coach Simo, for recruiting a little skinny kid from New Smyrna, and certainly Coach Taft. Coach Taft was the only head coach, the only head coach that came to visit me, that sat in my living room and told me he wanted me to be a part of his program. And, and that's what made the difference for me going to Charleston School. So love all you guys, man. Always will. Love you too, hey, CJ. Thanks, CJ. CJ, love stay you, on there for a minute. CJ. Is CJ on there? Yeah, he's still here. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Hey, real quick. So, CJ, you must have been part of that fourth and one call on a 29-yard line up there at Furman with the day we won a championship game. Fourth and one on our own 29. We got a yard to go. And, Charlie, you guys must have told him who dares win. Determined dive to the tight end side to give the ball to Everett. Okay, they come over. They got his out man to the tight end side. Blake, remember we used to call sixty-eight defense the Eagles G nose guard mm-hmm. and yeah. And Everett run and Blankenship is an all-American linebacker. He ain't even blocked. He came and hit Everett about two yards deep in the backfield. My heart was in my throat. Everett spun off and dragged him for a first down. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. Okay, good call. <laughs> but, yes, hey, sir. CJ, hey, I, I tell you what, hey, Everett, here, here's the, funniest, the funniest part about that weekend, Everett, remember uh, Brett Copeland oversleep, and he misses the oh, yeah. bus. No, oh, yeah. I find that hard to believe. I find yeah. that hard to believe. Coach Taft, nah. and it was funny because, it, you know, Coach Taft's rule, you don't play. So that time oh, yeah. he decided that he wasn't going to make the call. He was going to leave the vote until for the team representatives. 
like we were yep. going to dare vote for Brett not to play. <laughs> so, I remember thinking, he's not slick. He knew, it, but he could keep his heart. He could keep this tough man thing and say the players chose to let Brett play. <laughs> yep, yep. Hey, on that team, I'm going to tell you who else stepped up for him. It was uh, Coach Powell. Remember, you guys yep. coaches. Yeah. We had a coaches meeting. Coach Powers said, I know you're mad. Well, he actually said, I know you're pissed, Charlie. <laughs> but there's no reason for the rest of us to be punished. <laughs> you can run him. You can run him until the cows come home on Monday. But he needs to play on Saturday. Hey, one last one. That's right. I'm cranked up now, but uh, it hasn't been mentioned yet. Up there, it, it, when we played Furman, the championship game when Jack hurt his hand. And you came off the sideline and finished off Furman for us. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me really was, it, it symbolized the essence of that 92 team that we were a team and that whoever was yeah. called upon was going to come in there and get the job done. And you certainly got it done, my friend. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. No, no doubt. The uh, my Coach Grace. Yes, Now I remember um, Marshall earlier that season. We drive the ball down it's fourth and one from the one, and we kick a field goal, and we stopped into a field goal, so that tied the game at three three. So I wonder, and I've never asked this question um, when you know Bleem and I and Simo and I have, have coached together. Was that part of the reason why Coach went for it against against Furman? Because we wanted to go for it then. It was like, it's fourth and one for the one. This is who we are. Let's go get it. But we kicked the field goal. So do you think that played part of the uh, the decision to go for it against Furman? It, it, it may have, but, I mean, we were on our 29-yard line. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, it, was, it was the first – Ever it was the first series of the game. I think oh, they kicked it out again. We started first and ten on our twenty. We got it out to twenty nine. It was fourth and one. Now everybody in America knew if we were around the fifty fourth and one, we were going for it. Right. I, I don't. Charlie just made up his mind. We came here to win. We're going to yeah. send them a message right from the start. Four <laughs> down. Analytics to give it to Everett. That's right. That was smart. <laughs> hey, it wasn't any triple. He just put it in your hands. <laughs> hey, well, that's good because Jack might have pulled it. <laughs> Go down to that. Who dares wins? <laughs> there you well, go. Good man. Good. The um, it was definitely a special time doing those man, and, and uh, there's so many. Fond memories, and, and that's what one of the greatest things about athletics is, is just brings you together, you know, regardless of where you're from, how much money you have, what color you are, it just brings you together, and, and that's why I think athletics is just so important um, for these kids to, to continue just to, to thrive and, and be a part of, because it's also 
one of the last places that you know that people are held accountable in today's time. Yeah. And I think it's great. Yeah. So um I'm a big huge proponent of athletics as you all know. I'm with you there. I know I've been talking a lot, but I tell you, Skip, you know, my older son that played at North Carolina and then went up to the uh, Canadian football league and played. And this really? goes along with what you're saying. He, mm-hmm. He's in sales now, medical sales, but from the day he started his sales position to now and just everything he does, he he tell he tells me, Dad, I learned more on that practice field and game field and being with my teammates. I learned more life lessons. I do more things that I remember from football. You know, just all those little things and apply them to the that I live. So I'm just sharing as a personal story, but you know, it, when your own sons and daughter tell you. You know, athletics has been great for me, and I learned so many things from it. Right. Because we want to talk about I'll tell you what, man, he was a heck of a player up there, too. That was, that was when I was up there. <clears throat> Good. Now, uh, can, I, can, I, can I say one thing? Yep. The, probably the thing that we're missing the most, okay, are our wives. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay, the hours that Charlie uh, put upon us, those wives, they were special. Every one, every one of those wives, so understanding. And I got, I got Denise right here. She just wants to say hi to everybody. Hello, my little. I love you so much. What in the world? Hey, love you, baby. Yeah, we love you too. I love you all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> tell you what, man, they put up with a lot. Yep, no doubt about it. Thursday night no dinners. Blame Thursday night dinners. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Now, hey, now, now, of course, everybody. Um, well, not everybody, but everybody that played at the Citadel was working to get a body by Peel. Now, Peel, you've been kind of quiet today. I can't get a word in without Bleeds and Seagrace talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> body by Peel. I love that, man. Uh, I, I tell you what you was great. Uh, so big and so strong, Jim Peel. Uh, when I was back at the the, the football game last year, uh, we had some Ironmen up there: Robbie Briggs, Judson, uh, Greg Perry, who never was an Iron Man. But uh, uh, those body by pills, they kind of went to the wayside. <laughs> yeah, about, hey, Seth Forever, Jack, and a bunch of other guys there, Jim. Yeah, Everett ever still uh, does his part to hold up that body by peel. Some of those guys started to look a little bit more like Peel. <laughs> oh, uh, oh wow. Hey. Jim Peel. Jim Peel. Yeah, tell us all what's happening. Tell, tell us all Adrian Luster's fetch power cleaning his numbers again. I just want to hear it again. 
Wow, Adrian uh, bench six thirty five, squatted seven sixty five, clean three eighty five. Should have cleaned more. He just his arms got in the way. Jeez. Who recruited him? Unbelievable. Well, well Adrian, he was from Lawrence. He was from Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about Adrian, right? Yeah, Adrian. Hey, I can remember, Peel, and I'm sure you remember this also. When the the pro scouts came in to test Adrian Luster, we were up in the (laughs) weight room, and and they have him do 225 as many times as they could do it. (laughs) And when Adrian got to... 45 times with 225, the pro scout just said, put the bar down, please. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. I would never enough. I see that much yeah. weight my entire life. He said, you yeah. don't, you don't yeah. need to do it anymore. He yeah. was awful. Yeah. I'll tell you what, you can talk about Adrian all you know about being strong, and he was a freak. But we had some yeah. tough, strong individuals. Yeah. Really, yeah. you know, strong, stronger than any place else I ever was. Yeah, no doubt about he it. He was a human. No doubt. Yeah, well, we, hey. we have to get strong. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey, we're getting ready to uh, go on and wrap this up and go to a break. The, um, any last words of wisdom before we get out of here? Um, let me just say, anyone that ever thinks about going to Citadel, go, because it's the greatest school um, on the East Coast and definitely one of the best experiences as far as being a student athlete, there's no doubt. The best place to be a student athlete. Yeah, man. Let's let's put the staff back together and go win some more games. There you go. Well, hey, guys, I, I definitely appreciate you all coming on. Um, and, and we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. But, you know, Bleem, I might have to give you your own night. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't I ever, you don't want to do that, man. You don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, man, hey. Ten years. Ten truly, years of stories, man. Yep. Hey, oh, truly man. love you guys. Yeah. I appreciate all that you did. Um, not just for me, but but for for everybody at the Citadel, and uh, we're definitely looking for some more good days with the Citadel here in the future. Uh, but again, thank you all, and we're going to go to a short break, and we'll be back with another Citadel coach. This time from the Kevin Higgins era. So hold on. Good day. Yeah. Hey, right, good one. Good day, man. Love you guys. Hey, no doubt. Play on, play at Play on, play at Yo, Trey, drop the verse. It's going down, face of Black Street. The homies got at me, collab creations. Bump like agony, no doubt. I put it down, never slouch. As long as my credit can vouch, a dog couldn't catch me. Tell me who could stop with Dre making moves, attracting honeys like a magnet. Giving them orgasms with my mellow accent. Still moving this flavor with the homies Black Street and Teddy, the original rough shaker. Shutting it down, good luck. Baby got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around Cover much ground, got game by the town Getting paid is a forte Each and every day, true play away I can't get 
nigga out of my mind. Wow. I think about the girl all the time. Wow, wow. East side to the west side. Mm. Push the fat rise. It's no surprise. Mm. She got tricks in the stash. Stacking mm. up the cash. Fast when it comes to the gas. Mm. By no means average. Mm. As long as she's got to have it. Mm. Baby, you're a perfect 10. Mm. I want to get in. Can I get down? So I can the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. Bag it up. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. Bag it up. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. Bag it up. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. She's got class and style. She knowledge by the time. Baby, never act wild. Very low on the profile, catching feelings is a no, let me tell you how it goes, curves the word, spins the verb, lovers hit curves so freak what you heard, rolling with the fatness, you don't even know what the half is, you've got to pay to play, just a shorty bang bang to look your way. I like the way you work it, Trump tight all day, every day. You're blowing my mind, maybe in time, baby, I can get you in my ride. I like the way you work it, no diggity. I got to bag it up, bag it up. I like the way you work it, no diggity. I got to bag it up, oh, oh, I like the way you work it, no diggity. I got to bag it up, bag it up, babe. I like the way you work it, no Talk show. We're back, um, shifting gears just a little bit, but we're still staying with the former Citadel coach. Right now, we got Coach Gerald Dixon, also known as Smoke. Smoke, how's everything going? E, I'm doing well, man. Salute. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, man. Appreciate you being here, man. Appreciate you being here. Now, just so we can go on and just get a parameter, uh, what years were you at the Citadel, and, and what did you do after you left the Citadel? So I got to the Citadel in 2009, left there in um, 2014. Uh, after I left there, I got right into scouting with the Buffalo Bills and started there from 14 on to 2019, where I was in the pro department, but I also did a lot of 
um, northeast, southeast, um, the, the Big Ten area in, in terms of college recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I finished doing that, um, I left in 2019 to get with the XFL to be the director of football operations and basically run that entire um, team in, in terms of the personnel side. And the pandemic caught us all in that league um, folded. So right. we're doing well with the D.C. defenders. Had a chance to go back home uh, for the first time. And we're in first place, getting mm-hmm. ready to play Dallas. And then, like everybody else, everything came to a halt. And here right. we are. Right. That's crazy. Now, is the XFL, now I heard that that uh, The Rock bought the XFL. Is, is that true? Is that going to come back? Or what's going to happen with that? Correct. So Rock and um, his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital also um, bought the XFL, and they're planning to come back in 2022 okay. in terms of playing. So right. all the hiring should get done this spring, that's 2021, and start the whole process up again. And um, hopefully I'd love to join back on. They'll, they'll, they'll have me back on in, in terms of everybody else with the D.C. staff. Fortunately, we lost our head coach, Pep Hamilton. He's out there with mm-hmm. the L.A. Chargers with Anthony Lynn, um, doing an outstanding job with young quarterback Justin Herbert. Uh, he just won the game last week against New York Jets, so he's sitting pretty, man, and looking good. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Good job now, of course, there, there was going to be talk of was it uh, Herbert or, or, or was it Joe going to be the front runners for the rookie of the year. Of course, Joe just got recently – Burrow just recently got hurt. But in your opinion, who right. do you think was having a better season? Wow. They, those two young guys are playing outstanding now. Uh, Statistically-wise, you look at it, you're going to say Justin. Um, mm-hmm. Justin has more help around him. Head-to-head when they play, Justin won. So, right. holding my feet to the fire, who wins rookie of the year? I would have gave it to Justin. But mm-hmm. the better quarter, better, playing a better quarterback and doing some outstanding throws and some different stuff, high-level stuff, Um that's Joe, man. Joe's special. Right. Yeah, Herbert's good, yeah. but Joe's special. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that, that injury, I haven't heard anything about how bad it was. Um, but hopefully that injury. Well, you know too- what? They gave the information back. It's, so it's an ACL, MCL. So it's basically mm. a reconstruction of that knee. But that's, yeah. a, that's about a year, right? Yeah. And when, yeah. you have, when you have a talent like that, you try not to rush anything back because in my opinion, my humble opinion, watching the Cincinnati Bengals this year, they're not ready to make that run yet, right? right. So you want right. to get that talent base back, uh, build that offensive line because Joe was getting banged up and beat up, uh, and so there comes the injury. And they were mm-hmm. taking away some of their um, more highly paid vets. You know, A.J. Green is on that, that one-year franchise deal, so most likely right. he'll be gone. Carlos Dunlap just got traded a few weeks ago at the trade deadline. Geno Atkins, mm. you know, he's been there forever. You would like to see him move on and, and do the right thing of giving him the chance to go to a, a team that's contending for a championship moving uh, moving on this offseason coming up. So they right. can start rebuilding. And, and Zach Taylor's doing, you know, they, they got the quarterback. As long as you get the quarterback, that's mm-hmm. more than half the battle. Yep. No doubt. Regardless of what level you're playing, if you got a trigger guy, you got a chance of being successful. Man, and you know how that is, E. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt. Now, we're going to go backwards a little bit. You know, we just got off the phone with a bunch of uh, guys that, that I had the, the pleasure of playing for. And right. 
you know, one of the things that we talked about was your memories at the Citadel. Now, what kind of memories, what was your fondest memory uh, while you was coaching down there at the Citadel? Well, I mean, getting to the Citadel was, was my, it was, I mean, my, my, my eyes got wide open, right? Because when, when you're thinking about ball for me, uh, I played in a little school at the University of Alabama. That's what I thought the <laughs> ball like, was, right? So right. in Tuscaloosa, getting from Tuscaloosa to, to Charleston and seeing the military aspect of it and understanding uh, the difficulties those young men had going to school mm. and being a student athlete, being a, being a student first, athlete second, with a lot of restrictions and being able to be disciplined, um, humbling yourself a lot of the time just to get through a, just a typical day opened my eyes. Now, mm-hmm. the beauty of it that I saw, in my opinion, was getting a young man from, say, South Georgia, um, developing them, cultivating them, in the culture of the Citadel and seeing that young person graduate and have success. Mm-hmm. Young people like Ben Roberts, um, Tyus Carter, Cortez Allen, Andre Roberts, which we, Andre and I still talk on a day-to-day basis because um, he's right. up here in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the, my DB group that I, I coach, the Brandon McClady, the Sadat Jean-Pierre, the Walker Smith, the uh, Devontae um, Delaney. Just seeing all those young people come through finish up and just grow and mature from when they first came in with the knob haircut and all that. That was my best experience. So I didn't really have just one. It was the seeing young people develop over a period of time. And that was my joy of just getting young people in, making sure right. they graduate, get their masters and have success after them. Yep. And that's, you know, the, the thought of the day was what's your why? And, you know, right. you sort of, what you just said sort of epitomizes my why. That's why I love coaching, because you get an opportunity to pour into a young man um, that's 18, 19 years old and see him develop and help him develop into being, you know, that young father, that husband, a good husband, the guy that's having a positive effect on society, you know. So that's one of the greatest things to be able to look back um, or stay in contact with those guys and see that they're doing well. Um, and just knowing that I've had an opportunity to impact their lives away. So it's, you know, you just hit the nail on the head for me as well. Well, here, here's a, here goes a little known secret. I don't think everybody knows. Um, when I got to the Citadel, I was out stationed. I right now is my wife, right? We, mm-hmm. uh, we were just dating at that time. Right. And mm-hmm. Everett is the one that took me ring shopping. Stacey said she wanted an antique ring, and she had all these different specs on it. I ran it by Ev. Ev said, you know what? I don't know when you when – you should run for mayor of Dagon, um Charleston. But anyway, Ev said, I got a guy for it. <laughs> and you took me ring shopping on the weekend. And it, actually, I, it was the 21st of November, the weekend that we played against um, Florida. And that's the weekend right. I proposed to, um, to Stacey. So – Without Ev, I w- I'd, I'd still be running around here not knowing what, what, what a family is and what marriage is, man. So, again, salute and I appreciate it. A lot of people don't know that. It took me ring shopping. Hey, man. You know, hey, I, there was a lot of years I had you, I had to file you under my taxes. For the, for the oh, man, he was feeding me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Good old 
old days, man. I don't know if oh, I can ever yeah. really say it back forth, but hey, man, I'm, I'm still trying to chip away. Yep, no doubt about it, man. And that's the key. We just got to keep chipping, man. We got to keep chipping. So now, how was your transition from being a coach to being a scout? Well, you know what? It was pretty easy, um, in my opinion, because one thing that you and I did, and a lot of us did on that staff that was with Coach Higgins, was we recruited um, fairly well, right? Right. And mm-hmm. having an eye for talent is truly the scouting part of it and understanding mm-hmm. the developmental aspect of it. And when you're at the Citadel, you're not going to get the five-star or the four-star mm-hmm. athlete. So you got to be able to say, you know what? In Van Dyke Jones, I see something that mm-hmm. a lot of people not going to see. I see a kid that can create in space. He might not have the top end speed, but I see something. So mm-hmm. that part of it was easy for me to transition into scouting because I always took recruiting um, real serious. And I always right. took the, 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 the ability to develop as a part of truly coaching. Forget that just X's and O's only. You have to truly be able to cultivate the talents you have and project, especially mm-hmm. when you're at a place like the Citadel, to see what, what is this kid going to be like in three years. So it's, it's fourth and it's fifth years when we really wanted to get the best out of him. And when you yes. walk into a high school when they're 16 and 17 years old, if you don't have an eye for that, then you're going to be missing it. So for that yep. transaction, was, it's fairly easy on my part. Right, right. And that's, you know, that's something that that I think is extremely important um, is that just recruiting the kid is just part of the battle. Um, right. It doesn't stop when he gets on campus because I got to make sure that he's better when he leaves than when he got there. And no doubt just about make it. sure he gets fundamentally better, um, becomes right. more of a student of the game. All of those things right. is very important to make sure, as you said, right. you get the best out of them when they're juniors and seniors. And right. uh, that's something, you know, that you had to do at the city is constantly recruit your guys just because of the nature of the right. piece. Now, no with this it. new yeah. rule, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I was and, saying, you got it. You go. And even even when everyone asks me, like, well, you know, you, you Delaney and Cortez Allen, right, Andre Roberts, mm-hmm. all NFL players, I said I get more joy out of Cortez calling me, asking me questions about being a father or husband. Right. Or Sadat just having right. his baby girl the other day and saying, hey, man, this is going on. Uh, what's your advice? Right? A Walker Smith um, e- mailing me an invitation to his wedding. Right? The mm-hmm. impact on their lives, forget the NFL lives, right? Or Andre bringing right. his son over to play with my kids. That's what I truly get the joy out of in, in terms of coaching. And I know that, that's the same with you a young man calling you back five years saying, man, I, I truly appreciate what you did for me in this situation, mm-hmm. that situation. Because right now, as a father, as a husband, it's helping me tremendously. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's, again, that goes like we said before, that's our why. That is our why. Right. That's why we no put those hours in that we put in. Um, no doubt about it. So, But, you know, what I was going to say is with this new rule, a lot of places are going to have to be like the Citadel and constantly 
recruit their own kids. Uh, you know right. they're putting a rule in where there's a one-time free transfer rule, so you don't have to sit right. out. Um, right. So there are going to be a lot of kids in January talking about, I'm going over here, I'm right. going over there, and, and that's going to change the scope of college football. Um, right. I think a lot. Right. I think it's going to change a lot. And, you, and that's you when those going to be even more important. Yeah, you know, you know what, E? I took pride in the relationships that I built with each of my players. And I'm not right. saying that at all was I the buddy-buddy friendly coach at all times because mm-hmm. as, a, as a coach, you know, you have to have that. You got to be disciplined, right? So that disciplinarian yeah. comes out until we get to the understanding that we can have a, a conversation where it's truly understanding. But when you're a young pup, I got, we, we have to make sure that we, we, we're, we're doing things the right way. And if I was at a school and in my position group, say I have five or six guys and two or three of them transfer, yeah, I would truly look at myself and, and, and ask myself, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And, again, it's not necessarily you, but being the head coach and that leader of that group, when you, when you recruit young people and you lose them, that would be a gut punch for me. And, yep. I, and again, yep. everybody's not built for, for for a single place. But if if you're having coaches that's consistently losing players to this protocol transfer, you you gotta you gotta look at yourself and, and ask yourself, what are you doing? Are you recruiting the right person? Are you when you went into that house, sitting down with, with the parents and that young man? Did mm-hmm. you explain yourself fully? Did you give him the understanding of what he's going to go through to get to whatever level that he wants to get to, or get to? There's going to be a little bit of pain in it. Yep. And it's going to be some stress. And it's going to be some pressure. But last time I checked, if you truly want pressure, real, real pressure, you get diamonds out of it. I mean, other than that, you get some orange juice, right? So the difference is you want you, you squeeze the rock real hard and put it on the press, you get diamonds. You squeeze that you squeeze that orange real hard, you see the pulp and all the juice come out. What do you want to be, an orange or a diamond? Pick one way mm-hmm. out. But nobody needs to see the inside. Exactly. But yeah, man, and, that, that that rule is, I'm. You know what? Just to give you a quick story, I remember because most young people, freshmen, when they go on campus, there's come a there's a point that you think about. You know what? I'm either going back home, and it's not just the Citadel or anywhere else. That's everywhere. Because I had that moment, and coming from Maryland, going out to the University of Alabama, I remember it was. I forget what practice was, but it was like it was on two days. Mm-hmm. And and I was just having a bad day, right? True freshman trying to figure out what's what. And I remember Dustin McClintock scored a pass in the flat, and I was between the moment of trying to crush him but making a tackle, and I just froze, and I missed a tackle. And Lance Thompson, you're the same Lance Thompson went to the, uh, the Citadel. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, he recruited me at Georgia Tech, and he ran up and said, I've never seen you do that. And you know all the other words that came out, and I was crushed. Because you're coming from, hey, I'm the man, and now this guy is saying this in front of all of my teammates. And I remember I went up to Coach Dubose's office, and I said, you know what, Dubose? Man, I'm out of here, man. I'm going to go and transfer to school A, B, C, whatever. And he said, all right, that's cool. But what you're going to do is pick that phone up and call your father and tell him that you're coming home. And Mm -hmm. if anybody knows me, they know the importance of my dad and how important he still is to me to this day. 
I walked right. over that phone. You know, those are those are days you either dial it or, or you sat down, you, you you wound them numbers around. <laughs> All right, I'm 40 now, yep. so I'm showing my age. So I went over to the phone, e, and he did me. I looked at it and I've had my hand over it. Paused for a second, saw just my dad, everything that he did for all seven of us, and I said, you know what? I'm going to come back here maybe never again. And he said, don't ever come back to my office with this, with this information about you wanting to leave or quit. And that was it. Yep. From that point on, I don't care what you threw at me. I was ready to go, but everybody goes through that moment. And you just got to have, mm-hmm. like you said, your why that you, that you go through, that, 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 that pivotal moment that's going to push you forward. And, and, and in today's days, there's too many excuses, and there's too many yep. avenues for these young people to get to into and get out of a, of a tough yep. situation. There you go to work. Like, to, to say, mm-hmm. I, I, it's uncle. Like, nah, I'm, let me let me figure this thing out. Let me see if yep. do I have to wait until my third or fourth fourth year to, to play? Or let me you compete know. instead of going to this school. And before you know it, you know, put on every daggone colors and heard every fight song of, in America and, that, and that's the university that you're going to, right? So, I yeah. mean, I get the one-time transfer deal if, if if it's one of those situations where you have to get out. Mm-hmm. But other than that, man, you, you just got to tough that thing out and, and, and just play ball. It's called life. Figure you know, out. Speaking of, of your alma mater, Jalen right. Hurt, I, I got the most respect for him, you know, because oh, yeah. he, lost, he lost, what, one game and lost his job. Oh, yeah. And he's championship, there. see? Yeah. That was in a championship game that they had exactly. won, right? And and actually, you know, that was when they had a a, a change in offensive coordinator. So correct. And he had, he had a different guy calling the plays. So that's the only game he right. lost. Right. Um, championship game. And he he lost the last in the last second. Yep. He loses his job, yeah. but he stays. And not just that yep. he stays, but in a critical time, Tua gets hurt. And he comes back in mm-hmm. and leaves them. Back to the championship, man. I mean, testament. Of I mean, that's family. That's, that's different. There's not many kids that ever done that, and and not many kids that ever had the mental fortitude when that opportunity arose to be ready to go in right. and, and play at a high level. No doubt about it. And regardless so of I, what everybody I, thinks, yeah. if he can play quarterback or not, whatever right. it is, he still went second round, and he went out yep. to um, Oklahoma, and still. Got back in the playoffs with a chance to win mm-hmm. the Heisman Trophy. I mean, that's exactly. just that's just a different level of toughness. And yes. I, I met him. I said, "Listen, man, salute to you. I don't ever have to question your your toughness, right? Mental toughness right. and the ability to get through an adverse situation. And right. when kids see that, that, that's 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 a model that you want to mm-hmm. um, try to go after. The Jalen Hurts, that, that's a kid that you want to recruit in your school. Yes." That's the one I'm looking for. You got a bunch of those guys. Good luck about losing games because I don't think you're going to lose Exactly. Yep, that's true. That's true. But unfortunately, um, and I call it the microwave society, you know, too yep. many kids want it now. They don't want to work for it. They just want it now. Right. And, and that's that's not going to be – or that's not the recipe for success. So, right. Uh, but, go ahead. But you know, that that's a, that's, that's a lot on the parents, man. Because mm-hmm. young people are young people. It's what we put in them, and the expectation, right. uh, and what we demand from them on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. 
right? Yes. Because everyone, yes. I, I hear it all the time, you know, times change. Listen, 828 in the 1950s, 67 is still 828. But mm-hmm. the people at that time are just saying, well, you know, we got to give these kids more opportunities to do that. Like, why? Hmm. At some point, you got to figure this. You got to figure it out. Like success, like true success, is not overnight, right? Hmm. You got to nope. build that thing up. Mm-hmm. You, you you look at say the University of Alabama, right? When I was there, we won ten games twice, right? And then we right. we didn't have true leadership at the head coaching position to teach us how to really win critical games. Now we had success, mm-hmm. but we didn't have success like them. But Look what Nick did over a period of time. Nick had to do a lot to build this machine that's in front Mm -hmm. of him. It wasn't overnight. He he didn't get tours in there, and he wasn't getting the Jalen Hurts, the four- and five-star guys at the beginning. But over a period of time, they saw the brand like, whoa, this is different. And the same thing that Clemson's doing. I I believe that's what um, Kirby's trying to build um, at Georgia. Mm -hmm. But it it, it takes time. And, 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 And and in order to, to get it right, we, we got we got to expect and demand much more out of these young people than what we are and what we're doing today because we're we're, we're creating just monsters, and it's not social media. And social media is a part of it, but it starts at home, just like everything else. Now, let me ask this question. Go ahead. Are the administrators part of the issue as well? Because as you said, so. it takes time. And and oftentimes so. a guy gets two, maybe three years, don't even get a whole class in, and then next thing you know, he's let go, and somebody comes in and wins with his players. Right. Um, so, so so look at this model, time. right? So with with, with the with the people that's doing all the hiring, right? So they see they see the success that they Nick has and Coach Sweeney. Is happening, right? And automatically say, "Well, we should have that." Well, you got to remember, Coach Sweeney took his his bumps too. So did Nick, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Sweeney just didn't mm-hmm. get there, and was a head coach. Like he put his time in, right, and got that thing going in the right direction. True. He took C.J. Spiller's stand that extra year, and winning those games mm-hmm. to start getting those kids to come there to Sammy Watkins and Nuke Hopkins to. Shaq Lawson, right? Mm-hmm. Todd Boyd, all those guys coming in there. But to me, not only are these young people looking at it as must win right now, like you said, the administration's looking at it and saying, hey, we have to win right now. And that's, that's not the case in every, every single school that you go into. And to get it right and to build a true program, it takes a few years to get mm-hmm. to Jalen Hurst. Type characters in your program Right And you and I both know When you start getting that leadership from the players mm-hmm. When us as coaches leave They're the ones That's really Operating that machine And when you exactly. can get that When you can say hey man That's not the standard that we stand for at school A That's when you have mm-hmm. a true program That you is true what I'm saying? So, yeah. yep. I I, yeah. I agree with, with what you're saying. We 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 have to slow down and and and, and have some expectation of, and and that you're gonna get some bumps in the road. But the bump in the road don't mean stopping. Oh yeah, we got to fire this guy now. If it's yeah. six or seven years and some of these guys aren't qualified because a lot of these bum coaches aren't qualified, 
be out there calling right. themselves coaches, right? Yeah, you gotta get rid of them now. But if you see if you see progress over period, and that's over a period of time, right? Then you gotta right. say, hey man, we gotta run with this because everybody that jumps in a, in in a, in a ship is not a true captain. That's very true. That's very true. Because I mean, South Carolina can win games. I've seen South Carolina mm-hmm. win ten games. Just gotta get mm-hmm. the right person in. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. No I mean, doubt. Coach Sweeney can't get all the players coming out of there. And there's a bunch of players that's coming out of there. Oh yeah. There's can't get all of them. South Carolina. Yep. Man. Last time I checked, Devion Clowney's a player. So is Steph Gilmore, the defensive player of the year last year. I mean, I know where they came mm-hmm. from. Yep. You guys are doing a heck of a job getting players. Hey. All right. I mean, you got to and, win and, and, and you got to get know, the right person in. Yep. And as you know, it's not about the X's and O's. It's the Jimmys and Joes. Period. No doubt. But with the Jimmys and Joes, you got you got to be able to develop them Jimmys and Joes. And that's the key. I got to get them. And yeah. Them. <laughs> that, that's the you key. Got to develop them. Yep. And how many of these coaches can truly develop in the T word that's coming out? Teach. Yes. These young people yes. how yes. to play the game. Right, you got to be a teacher first. And I, I, when I cut the film on now, and I'm watching a bunch of college um, film, mm-hmm. like everybody's running these, all these plays, right? But there's no right. rhyme and reason behind it. You play. They just pull in Madden plays and, and running it. So that's that's a that's a whole part of it too. The component of tackling, blocking, throwing, catching, and all that that, that you you don't see that anymore. Much more. Um, in college football, and it's sad, and that right. has a lot to do with the teaching. Yeah, because it is—it's really a simple game. I mean, you've got to block, you got to oh, tackle, yeah. you got to catch the ball, and you, mm-hmm. you got to defend. Right. I mean, hey, stick with the fundamentals, and and you're gonna find some success. You know, I often hear right. coaches talking about we got to get back to the fundamentals. But why'd you leave the fundamentals? Right. Shouldn't have left. Yeah. Them. Why? Why do we got to get back? <laughs> why do we got to get back? I, yep. I tell you what, and, and you go around when you go around a real good staff, right? When they first start that that first period of of practice, if they aren't doing day one fundamentals, and you know when we had to fill out that daggone um practice script, if day mm-hmm. one if, if if everyday fundamentals is not on there, you're missing yep. something. Yep. If you teach if you teach running backs and you're not teaching mesh and how to carry the ball with ball security. Whatever mm-hmm. points of pressure that you want to teach, outside hand, I mean, outside ball in the outside hand, uh, when you go into that yep. sideline, like, like, you can't be teaching old heads, so we're going to have to do this jump cut. And we're going to, like, first thing you got to do is just, how do you carry the ball first, yeah? Every day. Mm-hmm. It's a computer. No you got to reset that thing every single day. No and doubt. go at it. No DBs, whatever fundamentals you got to have, receivers, catching the ball, quarterback, mm-hmm. throwing to the right person. It's, 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 it, it, it when you have so much in, and I, and I see so much on on film when I'm watching, I don't know how much is being taught on right. a day to day basis for these young people, yeah. and that's why you see a lot of them hurt, struggle with tackling, struggle with blocking, right? And, it, yep. and, the, and the game is, is getting watered down. They can blame it on not having time due to the pandemic, but before the pandemic hit, a lot of these um, um, yeah. teams suck. 
Hey, but hopefully after the pandemic, the fundamentals are coming back and, and the, the game's going to get a, a little bit more fundamentally sound. So, But, hey, our time uh, is wrapping up. Before, before you go, give yes, me sir. one piece one piece of advice for a young student athlete that would like to get to the um, professional level. Know your strengths and play towards them. Understand your weakness and work towards that too. But you have to know yourself as a player first. You got to know who you are in order to play on a professional level. That's good. That's good. Hey, man, well, we appreciate it. And sometime soon we're going to try to get you back on here as, as we get into the NFL playoffs so we can really talk about the NFL a little bit. We're just sort of talking a little college ball today. But we'll get back to that sometime soon. But, hey, again, thank you for joining man. us. And uh, we look for tell, – tell Station and the family we said hello. And we look man, forward to getting back soon. All right, man. Hey, hey, hey help, the kids, help the kids yep. – get the kids and wife for me, man. I miss you. Definitely y'all. do that. Miss you as well. You all right. Have, have you. Have you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in
Hello, everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We start our final hour, and uh, we have a good friend of mine, Nick Meeker. Everything going? Everett Sands, how are you doing? It's a pleasure to be on. I'm doing well, man, doing well. Well, Nick is a sports agent, so we wanted just to bring athletics and just from a little bit different angle, uh, from the agent perspective. Um, so, Nick, just tell us a little bit about your background, where you've been, um, and exactly what you're doing now. Sure. So, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., in Northern Virginia. Um, went to high school at Fort Union Military Academy uh, down in Central Virginia. Uh, really good high school for athletics. A lot of guys who went there are playing on Sundays now. Uh, Michael Thomas, uh, Carlos Hyde, Cardale Jones, those types of guys. And, and, you know, I realized once I got there that I probably was not going to be playing on Sundays myself. So um, <laughs> took advantage of the opportunity. Um, had a fortune of doing well there and went to Stanford University for college for my undergrad. Then uh, came back east and went to University of Virginia for law school. And uh, while I was at UVA is where I met my boss today, uh, whose name Dennis Cordell. Uh, he started Coaches, Inc. Uh, a few years earlier. Ended mm-hmm. up interning uh, with Dennis and Coaches, Inc. my last year of law school, uh, which was in 2008-2009. Uh, graduated that spring and uh, took the bar exam, uh, was lucky enough to pass that, officially became a lawyer, and I have been an agent for Coaches, Inc., uh, representing coaches uh, since then, since 2009, so about 12 years now, uh, so it's okay. been a lot of fun. I've moved around a little bit. I'm out in San Diego, California now. Now, San Diego is a far cry from the D.C. area. It is. You know, one of the uh, the benefits of what I do is that uh, is so much of what we do is over the phone or email or, or travel, at least in most mm-hmm. years. Uh, right. Most years, time I'm, I'm traveling to a different city, seeing a different game uh, every weekend. Obviously, that's changed a little bit in 2020, um, right. but still, it's been uh, another neat aspect of uh, doing what I do as an agent is you get to see coaches all over and uh, see a lot of different areas of the country, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Nice. Now, you all just don't work with football. So what other sports do you work with? Oh, that's a good question. We work with a lot of a lot of coaches across a lot of sports. Um, when I first joined Coaches Inc. in, in 2009, it was just football coaches. And then slowly but surely over the years, we branched out. Uh, we uh, brought on another agent by the name of John Colin a couple of years later, and he kind of headed up our men's basketball department. Uh, a couple of years after that, we brought on another agent by the name of Derry Rosenfield, who took the lead on our women's basketball department. And then since then, we kind of branched out into uh, a host of other sports as well, including uh, volleyball, um, golf, tennis. Um, I had a couple baseball coaches, track and okay. field. Uh, basically, if it's a college sport and they have a coach, 
uh, if we can help them, we will. Okay. Nice. Nice. Now, how does working with coaches differ than working with players? Uh, my life would probably be a lot more stressful uh, working with players. Um, I'd say one of the biggest differences is that as an agent for coaches, we're dealing with clients who had a very different uh, position in their life as right. opposed to agents that work with players. Um, mm-hmm. you know, typically coaches are, are more mature. They have a better understanding of the way the world works. Um, mm-hmm. it's, and I, I don't want to fall into too many stereotypes here, uh, but it, it's, a, it's just a different game in the player agent world. Uh, everyone right. wants to be a player agent because of the glitz and glamour that they think goes along with it and fancy cars and jewelry and endorsement deals for players. Um, and uh, for better or for worse, it, it can be, uh, it's just a different, different game, a different industry. Uh, mm-hmm. What I really like working about coaches is, uh, you know, we get to work with the coach throughout the course of their career, which can be, 10, 20 years. Now, there's some coaches who I'm working with now that I was working with when I first started this job in 2009. And uh, you really get to develop that relationship and uh, work with the coach as he progresses in his career. And you just don't get that opportunity on the player agent side. You know, even the best players aren't playing 20 years. So uh, that's probably the biggest difference, I would say. The Now, one of the things that we try to uh, highlight here at the West Foundation is the fact that um, kids can be successful without being a professional athlete and that one day their career is going to end. And we want to help equip them with tools for success. Um, now, one of the things that a lot of players do is they get into coaching afterwards. One thing I want to hit before I really go there is there's times that your sport doesn't love you back. And what I mean by that is you might get injured. Um, you might lose your job because somebody just better came in. Different things happen where you might not have an opportunity to uh, really play like you thought you would. Now, from a, again, I know you're more of a coach's agent. But from a just a overall agent perspective, for a young person that that has the and most of them do the aspiration of playing at the next level, um, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say the number one advice I would give to a young athlete is to keep your options open. And the way you do that, in my opinion is by excelling in every aspect that you can. Excelling in the classroom, giving your all to the classroom, um, giving your all to football, uh, basketball. If you're a multi-sport athlete, I think that's great. Um, and the reason I say that is is just, as you mentioned, um, the game doesn't love you back. Uh, it's something we talked about the other day, and there's a lot of truth to it. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You could be the greatest athlete in the world and suffer Mm -hmm. a fluke injury, and all of a sudden your career is over. Um, And so by having 
other areas that you can fall back on. Uh, having a degree, having done well in other areas, uh, you give yourself the options, the opportunities uh, to open other doors and explore other careers and other opportunities as they arise. And you don't just pigeon your, pigeonhole yourself into being an NFL player or bust because more yeah. likely than not, you're going to end up on the bust side of that equation. Mm-hmm. Those, are just, those, those are just percentages. 99.99% yep. of high school athletes aren't going to be playing on Sundays, unfortunately. That's true. That's true. But you know what? And as you are a perfect example of even though I might not be playing on Sundays, I still can have a be a part of the game, um, such as yourself. So you're not playing, but hey, I'm still in the mix, and, and I and I have a really an important role in college football, or, or not just college football, but just college athletics. So it's uh, definitely good to keep those options open and, and make sure that you're just working on being excellent in everything that you do. So it's a great point, great point. The um, now you all uh, as you're working with clients, I imagine you you work at every level from BCS or uh, Power Five, five to Division Three, right? Uh, absolutely. Now, the what are some of the aspects when you? Because I'm sure you don't take every client. So what are some of the things, and, and it's sort of, I'll, I'll tie this into just being a, an athlete as well, but what are some of the things that you all look for when you're talking to different clients or, or looking to accept a client? You know, Everett, the number one thing is looking for good people. Um, I would much rather work with a coach who might be at a smaller school or a smaller division if he's mm-hmm. a good person and I enjoy working with him and I can, you know, if we go out and have a coffee and I can see he treats other people the right way with respect and is just a good person as opposed to a coach who might be at the highest level of the game and is a jerk and doesn't treat people well. Um, mm-hmm. Cause like I said before, we're typically the goal is for us to work with a coach for a long time throughout the course of their career. And uh, it's just not worth the headaches that go along with working with someone who's not a good person. And, um, and, and also you never know where someone is going to be um, down the road. You exactly. know, you could be, you look at all the top coaches now, um, they had to start somewhere. And mm-hmm. uh, Nick Saban didn't start his career as the head coach at university of Alabama. Exactly. So uh, you recognize that. And um, that's why I say I, it's uh, life's too short and uh, it's not worth it uh, working with people who uh, aren't enjoyable to work with. Uh, so that's probably mm-hmm. the number one thing I look for when evaluating potential coaches to work with as clients. But you know what? Um, and, and I knew I, I would have an opportunity to tie that in. Regardless if you are a player that's looking to get recruited, if you aren't a good person, the likelihood of somebody recruiting you and signing you is, is going to diminish. Um, when you get into the workforce, 
not a good person. Nobody's going to want to work with you. So, so that is something that's, that's very important is just being a good person, um, treating people with respect. You know, that, that's something that takes you along. And uh, regardless of if you are a coach, uh, if you work in a restaurant, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, it doesn't matter. That, that is something that is extremely important. And yep. uh, that, that you can hang your hat on. You know, that's one of the things that, if nothing else, you want to be said that he's a good person. Yep. So and one of the things we talked about a lot in the football coaching universe is the fact that at every game, someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. And mm-hmm. that every coach in his career, he's going to have ups and downs. And there are some coaches who aren't necessarily the greatest people and uh, don't treat people the right way, unfortunately, and are still mm-hmm. able to rise through the profession. But usually it ends up catching up with them. And I can tell you this, when you're in going down the roller coaster and things aren't going great, you're going to have a much easier time going through that valley and and Mm -hmm. keeping your job. And not only keeping your job, but just having the support system around you if you treated those people the right way on your way up, they'll still have your back on the way down. And that's true. not just true for college football coaches, I don't believe. I think that that's applicable to just about any industry. So I think there's a lot to be said uh, for doing things the right way, treating people well and mm-hmm. uh, with respect and courtesy no matter where you are. Uh, just because you're at the top of the world right now doesn't mean that's where you're going to be next year. And it's almost a guarantee that it's going to happen because, as they say, there's two types of coaches those that have been fired and those that will be fired. Amen. <laughs> sooner or later. Sooner or later. And again, it's not pleasant for you any at any time, but it's kind of one of those things that is part of the profession. Yeah, even uh, Nick Saban was fired. He's regarded as yep. the top coach in America right now. And, uh mm-hmm. But everyone, like you said, every coach gets fired at some point, and uh, regardless of coaching, you know every every person in their life, whether it's professional or personal, is going to go through ups and downs, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's a job firing or something else. And um, so I think there's a just like we talked about with athletes and and uh, lessons to be learned by playing sports. Uh, that's just another example of how the coaching industry and ups and downs are applicable to just about everything else you can encounter in life in terms of dealing with adversity and how you respond to it and how you treat people. Mm-hmm. This is true. And I guess adversity is something that you're going to face at some point or another. And it's kind of like a game. At every game, there's usually some type of adversity. And the question is how you react to that adversity, which is like in life. When you have that aversion, you react. And once again, I, I just believe in athletics helps prepare you for so much, and that's one of the things that it helps prepare you for. Or you do. Absolutely. And, uh, so that is that is huge. Now, um, the whole pandemic 
how has that sort of affected, from your perspective, the the college game? You know, we were talking about adversity, and I think adversity shows your true colors, whether you're a person or a company, organization, whatever the case may be. And uh, I think one of the things we've seen in college football, college athletics in general, through 2020 and through the pandemic, is that college football is a business. <laughs> there, there might have some people might not have really wanted to accept that and embrace that pot prior to 2020, but after this year, there is no more debating, no more doubting that college football and college men's college basketball. <laughs> Those are the driving forces, uh, the driving economic forces behind college yeah. athletics. You know, That's there's true. a there wasn't it, when we go back to July and August, and uh, administrators were figuring out what to do with the season. With all due respect to other sports, there weren't conversations going on. You know, at the last minute, trying to figure out how to get soccer games in. Um, right. And no disrespect to soccer or any other sport, but uh, everything was geared around trying to get football games played because that's what drives college athletics as a whole. And mm-hmm. um, there's uh, you can talk about amateurism and and talk about you know all these other issues uh, related to college athletics. But uh, going back to your earlier point on. Uh, how the game doesn't always love you back because it's a business. And um, right. I think that has been highlighted uh, by 2020 and the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. seeing the disparity between different levels, um, how, right. whether it's a power five or, or what used to be called BCS conferences, how they responded as opposed to, other Division One schools or FCS or Division Two or Division Three, uh, right? What have you? Yeah. When I talk to other people um, who aren't necessarily part of the college football industry, and uh, you know, they say, "Oh, well, things must be going great because all of the college football teams are playing now." And I have to remind them: the vast majority of college football teams are not playing this fall. When you turn on ESPN on Saturday and you see the Gamecocks playing, that's that's great, but that's just one small segment of college football. Yeah. You're not sure. considering the fact that none of the SCS, the formerly Division One AA, almost none mm-hmm. of them are playing. Almost right. none of Division Two, almost none of Division Three, NAI. That's the vast majority of college football right there, and. Uh, sure. None of those teams are playing. None, they didn't have the opportunity to. Uh, based for uh, a lot of it had to do with economics. And the yep. reason why everyone tried to figure out a way to get those top teams out on the field was uh, to get the revenue chain train going mm-hmm. and uh, bring some of the uh, bring some revenue into these college athletic departments that were really starving uh, for cash. And it, it was been sad to see you know so many um not just coaches and players but uh all the other people that are affected by and depend on college football, whether it's That's an true. administrator at school 
or a waiter at a restaurant in a college town that gets mm-hmm. a lot of business on Saturdays in the fall. Um, so just seeing the trickle-down effect has been uh, – it just highlights that and shows how powerful uh, college football really is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then, of course, college basketball, as you said, is the number two, and they're going to start tomorrow. Tomorrow is the first college yeah. basketball game. They start tomorrow. I believe so. so. And uh, we, They've we had a lot had, of issues, too. <laughs> yep. We had Coach Frank Martin on a couple of weeks ago, and I think they're going to try to play the same amount of games. I think they might cut one or two. Um, but they're going to try to play the same amount of games that they would normally play. And then I heard something recently where they talked about possibly the having all of the uh, the dance um, be in one place. So instead of having it regionally and then they move in and then keep moving it, just having it all in one place. That's kind of like they did in the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. I guess Doing that, they'll be able to cut down some of the contact with the outside and, and keep the kids uh, have a better chance of keeping them healthy, which, of course, is the number one concern. Uh, but so basketball is getting ready to start. And, of course, football, I guess, will officially they, – they know that the second week of December was when they were planning on the season to end, but there's been so many postponements. Will they push that back? Or will they leave it the same? Have you heard anything about that? I know that they are extremely reluctant to push it back any further than they already have. Um, right. Ultimately, those decisions are above my paid rate. Um, exactly. It just gets more and more complicated uh, the further right. you push it back. Um, you know, another thing to watch is, you know, we talked a minute ago about, you know, the FCS levels. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of schools are planning on playing football in the spring. Yeah, um, they are. So they are. It, it'll be interesting, you know, as a in the world I operate in, as a agent for coaches, it's going to be really interesting because so many of the coaching moves that mm-hmm. happen typically happen right at the end of the yeah. season. Yeah, um, that's true. And, and so it could be really interesting this this time around. When you've got all these Division One FBS schools ending their season, and a whole group of other schools are getting ready to start their season a few weeks later, that's true. So, that's true. And then you've got some players getting ready for the NFL draft, um, mm-hmm. and the NFL is not necessarily going to want to push back anything any further. So exactly, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, twenty twenty. Is uh, yep. it's one uh, set of craziness after another, which you know that's something that I really haven't thought about because I guess the one double A coaches, or excuse me, the FCS coaches, they'll be starting in early January, getting ready to start their season. So there could be some transition there because if one of their friends get a job, they might have a chance to go. But then again, how much transition will there be this off season? Probably not as much as you'd see in most seasons, um, right. but there'll still be some, you know, as you, right. exactly. you know, just uh, looking at South Carolina and yep. uh, their decision to 
to make a move. Um, so there'll, there'll still be some, especially at the bigger schools, because there's so much pressure to win and win, so right. much scrutiny when you don't when you don't win. And right. Uh, right. there there are still boosters out there that are have the ability to write checks for large sums of money, and if they want to see a change made, more than likely that's going to change is going to be made, whether it's 2020 or 2025. Um, that, that part doesn't change due to the pandemic, um, yeah. but it has changed you know, at the other levels. Uh, you won't see as much movement, I don't think, uh, at the aside from outside of those top power five programs. Right. Okay. Well, good. Well, Hey, well, we definitely appreciate you coming on. We're going to go to a quick break and then we're going to come back and wrap things up. But uh, Nick, we appreciate you and hopefully we can get you back on sometime. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Well, Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes right after this short break. of a break from the norm just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control it's cool to dance but what about a groove that soothes the move romance give me a soft subtle mix and if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it and think of the summers of the past adjust the bass and let the alpine blast pop in my cd and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because this is summertime But back then I didn't really know what it was But now I see what happened is The way that people respond to summer madness The weather is hot and girls are dressing less And checking out the fellas to tell them who's best Riding around in your Jeep or your Benzos Or in your Nissan sitting on Lorenzo's Back in Philly we be out in the park A place called the Plateau is where everybody goes Guys out hunting and girls doing likewise Honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes she turn around and see what you beeping at. It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac. And with a pen and pad, I compose this rhyme to hit you and to get you equipped for the summertime. Makes me wonder how the smell from a grill could spark up nostalgia. 
All the kids playing out front. Little boys messing around with the girls playing double dutch. While the DJ spinning a tune as the old folks dance at your family reunion. Then six o'clock rolls around. You just finished wiping your car down. It's time to cruise, so you go to the summertime. Hang out, it looks like a car show. Everybody come looking real fine. Fresh from the barbershop, applying the beauty salon. Every moment fronting and maxing, chilling in the car, they spent all day waxing, leaning to the side, but you can't speed through two miles an hour, so everybody sees you. There's an air of love and of happiness, and this is the Fresh Prince's new definition of summer madness. Doing is Everett Sands um, with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back for our last couple of minutes of the show, and I got my co-host Hamp Smith with me. Hamp, we had a pretty good show. Today. Yes, sir. Yes, you know, sir. We started off with a, a great group of coaches from the early '90s. Actually, the most of them were there for ten years. I mean, that's that's almost unheard of these days. The coaches, coaching staff being together for ten years, um, and then actually. Uh, Coach Stevenson and Coach Salazar coached together for 20 years. I mean, that's that's a long oh, wow. time. Because they coached together 10 years at Citadel and then 10 years at Maryland. I mean, that's a pretty good run there. Um, both on the side oh, of the ball. Coach Salazar, um, small world, coached a kid that I coached at Furman uh, at the prep school in Connecticut he's at now. Oh, Okay. Okay, so he he sent somebody to the all girls school in Greenville, huh? Yep, he did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. The Citadel and all I can think, of, I can think about listening to them with Charlie Baker standing there with that Furman helmet, yelling "Purple makes me puke" when they were talking about the <laughs> championship game against Furman. <laughs> yes, yes, and you know. Um, they they were able, you know, the Citadel actually, uh, because they played four games in the fall, were only going to be allowed to play seven games in the spring and not be able to participate in the championship. They um, got it where they, they could go on to play. So the Furman game was a game that they had cut off. Um, so they appealed. They got opportunity to go on to play that eighth game. So the Furman game is back on. So from that end, the Citadel Furman game is another big game because that's a game that almost didn't get played this year. So it's always a big game, and back in the day, it always meant something. Whether it was an opportunity to win the championship, whether it was an opportunity to go to the playoffs, it was always a, a very important game for both teams. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, how, how was that working? Up. How was it? It was spending that time in the Citadel and going to fun. Well, you know, I've been at three Southern Conference schools now. You know, I was at the Citadel, then I went to Walford, then I went to Furman. Okay. So I've seen kind of the three-sided rivalry. Um, but, you know, Furman's a lot different. Um, very high academic school. Um, mm-hmm. 
the professors care a lot about school. It's a great place, beautiful campus, um, you know, a lot of history. Um, it's in an interesting spot, you know, being in Greenville because Clemson's right there. Um, right. But, you know, I had a lot of fun. I wish I could forget the Citadel game this past year. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we We had a rough one, man. It was pouring down rain, and you know, you know, you're in trouble when they go for it on, on with on fourth and three from their own twenty-five. You know, uh, hey, it's not hey, good they, at that point. They they just reminiscing yeah. from uh, as you as you heard coaches from the Citadel talking earlier about it was fourth and one from the twenty-nine in the first yep. the game. <laughs> I didn't realize it was the first series of the game. Um, but fourth and one from the 29, and, and again, in my mind, as I look back, I really go back to that that Marshall game where it was fourth and one from the one, and we didn't go for it. That I think coach was like, next time I get that opportunity, I'm going, and we did. Yeah, and it was a good day for us. So, but yes, but also it was weird, you know, walking in the work every day, and because they have a big painting. Um, they made a goal line stand against the Citadel to win their first Southern Conference championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you, do you know and who that, that's the first thing you see. Do you know who the running see. back was there? Do you know huh? who the running back was? I said, do you know who the running back was? Was it you? No. No, 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 no. It was Stump Mitchell. Wow. Who is the all-time leading rusher at the Citadel. And and right now the running back coach for the Cleveland Browns, um, but yeah, but but he had opportunity to do, to uh, go and do that. Now I know that because our old chaplain at USC when I was coaching there was a Furman grad and he was on the team. He was defensive end, so he used to always talk about that story. Uh, but of course, when I was playing, we we had the, we had the upper hand on Furman. But that's another story. We get to that Furman rivalry later. Um, but uh, then we had Coach Gerald Dixon, Smoke, who's now uh, who went from being a coach at the Citadel to NFL uh, scouts to being a director of football operations uh, for one of the XFL teams. So hopefully XFL get back rolling and he get back in that spot and uh, do a lot of things here in the future. And then yeah, it was good, the- to, good to hear from him. Yeah, man. He, he, uh, good coach, good coach, great person. And uh, we definitely had some good times when we were down at the Citadel, running around. Yeah, nobody, nobody that I played with has ever said anything bad about him. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody that I know that played for him just loves him. So, you know, good dude. Yep, really good, really good. And then we had, uh, from a different perspective, a little sports agent. Um, and, you know, it's – and he brought up something that I really didn't think about. And, of course, he works more with um, coaches. And mm-hmm. his his advice to the kids that have athletes was keep your options open. Excel in everything that you do from the classroom to the field, which is very true. And, you know, and a lot of times, you know, we talk about you can do anything that you put your mind to do. And of course, athletics is one of those things that at times it's somebody else's decision, and that's one of the things that makes it tough because one day it's going to be one man's decision when you ever play again. And yeah. regardless of who you are, if I have my aspirations to get there, 
I can find a way to get there. Might not be the way that I initially intended to get there, but I can still find my way there. Um, so if you have that type of mental fortitude and that work ethic and you're saying, I definitely want to do it, then you can find a way to make it happen. Um, like I said, but it might not be just like you wanted it to, but you can still get there. No doubt. Because so. I can now, tell you my path to Kansas City, Missouri is not one from when I went from the Citadel to here is not the path I thought it was going to be. <laughs> right. It normally isn't. So. It normally isn't. But you know what? You learn so much along the way. So it's uh, as you're on that journey, it's important to make sure that you're learning. And it's not going to happen the way you want it to most of the time, but it's for a reason. You're going through something to help prepare you for something else. Uh, and if you look at things that way, you're going to be much happier. Um, you're going to be much more appreciative and, instead of being that guy, go back to that guy as he was talking about that nobody wants to be around. You don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate the struggles that you have because there's something there that you can grow from and get better from. And if you do that, then you're going to continue to excel and you're going to find that success that you're looking for. No doubt. And I think that's one of the most rewarding aspects of being a coach in college is because college is a time where kids kind of face adversity on their own for the first time. Right. And Mm -hmm. they don't really know how to deal with it, you know, because at 18, 19, when I was at the Citadel, I, I didn't know how to deal with adversity. You know, I had a lot of stuff pile up on me, and I just didn't know what to do. And, you know, I think being able to help kids process emotions is a big part of our job as coaches, you know, because at at the end of the day, you know, kids, they just don't have the wisdom and the experience to pull from to know how to deal with stuff. And so that's really been rewarding for me as a coach is helping kids not make mistakes that I made coming up and, you know, being able to use my life as an example. Right. So, you know, because life is hard. Yep. And that's the thing that sometimes we got to realize that we go through some things to help somebody else down the road. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said. No doubt. Everything's a learning opportunity. So if you look at it that way, it's going to be much better off. So, but speaking of learning opportunities, we're we're going to see if what Clemson learned from their uh, game against Notre Dame. um, They got picked this week to see if they can get back on the right track, which I'm sure they will. I know Coach Sweeney is going to have them boys ready to roll. I'm sure they're biting. Well, I think they're finally finally going to be kind of healthy for the first time in a couple of weeks. Yep. So... You know, I think Trevor's going to be back. And um, I think they had four guys out on defense for the Notre Dame game as well. They did. did. So, you know, it would be good to see them bounce back. But Pittsburgh's playing well. Yep. And I think it's probably going to be Clemson and Notre Dame in the ACC championship. 
So we're going to see a healthy Clemson against mm-hmm. hopefully a healthy Notre Dame. And then Notre Dame can either say, hey, we for real, or Clemson can say, see, I told you we asked people hurt, and that's why you won the first time. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And speaking of Notre Dame, I think their game is it might be one of the games of the week because they're going against North Carolina. Um, yep. So North Carolina, their quarterback has been playing well, and they're six and two right now, ranked number twenty-five, and that's going to be a pretty good game. I'm interested to see that one. I'm excited to see if Notre Dame is for real and if North Carolina is for real, because you're going to find out one or the other. Yep, that's true. So that is true. The uh, another team that is showing that they're for real, um, going toe to toe with Ohio last week is Indiana. And uh, they play Maryland, which Maryland's been playing well. So that's going to be another game to keep your eye on. Yeah, you know, Tua's little brother, starting quarterback at Maryland, and mm-hmm. he's been pretty explosive so far. Right, right. So then you got Iowa State and Texas. Iowa State sitting at six and two. Texas five and two. Um, that should be a good game. That's going to be an opportunity for Texas to go on and say, "Hey, we are." Um, back on the right track, or is for our state to go on and Coach Campbell is going to put his foot in the ground and say, "Yep, we're one of the better teams in in the Big 12. So that's going to be another one to watch. For sure, I'm excited about that one. You know, getting introduced, being out here in Missouri for the first time, I'm starting to watch more Midwest games because right. a lot more fans around here. So yeah, yeah. And then the must-win game of the week. It's a must-win for Penn State. It's a must-win for Michigan. Um, Penn State, of course, uh, starting off at 0-5, and, and Michigan sitting at 2-3. and So I think uh, Michigan, they found a way to beat Rutgers last week in three overtimes. So this is going to be a, a big game for both programs. No doubt. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how, who who responds. Um because, you know, we'll see which quarterback steps up. I think that's kind of the big question mark for both of them right now Right is is that position. Mm-hmm. So, and as we said earlier, if, if you don't have a trigger guy, it's tough to win, baby. It's tough to win without a good it trigger really guy. It really is. It really is. It'll be interesting to see uh, – also, another Big Ten one is Wisconsin bouncing back, you know, yeah. taking that tough loss last week as well. Mm-hmm. So, but the question is, who's going to play actually this week? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, speaking of quarterbacks, um, a quarterback at Coastal Carolina has been playing really, really well. And I'm disappointed that Coastal, after a solid win against App State, Drops in the polls. One poll got them at sixteen, and you say you saw another poll where they got them at twenty. I mean, how do you drop yep. like that at the good state team? Um, but they got Texas State this week, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, hopefully, Coastal can go on and use that as fuel to say, "Hey, we got to go on and, and earn more respect and go out and play well." And, yeah, and against a. a Texas State, a Texas State team that's getting better. Mm-hmm. And then the Iron Bowl is this week. Yeah, 
you know, we kind of looked over that, I feel like. But here it is, because it's not, you know, last week of the season, rivalry week. Right. So, but I'm excited to see how Auburn's going to play, if they're going to be able to slow down that juggernaut on Alabama offense. Oh, yeah. Gosh, they've got so many weapons. And and I guess which Auburn offense is going to show up? Sometimes they run like a well-oiled machine, and sometimes they don't. So that's going to be another question. So and, and then we got we, the Egg Bowl. Yep, we got the Egg Bowl, and say we got Ole Miss and Mississippi State, which both of them new coaches. Um, so we'll see who gets the bragging rights first, and then continue no probably another game to circle. Texas A and M, I think they've they're trying to fight to prove that they're the second best team, uh, definitely on the west side. Um, and then they would like to say they're the second best team in the SEC behind Alabama, but we'll see. They got LSU, mm-hmm. and uh, the running back of Texas A and M has been playing really, really well. And we'll see what happens with that. And then UGA and South Carolina, South Carolina, big question. Uh, Ahead, the big sorry. question for me is who's going to start at quarterback this week for the Gamecocks? Yeah, a huge question, huge question, huge question. Because yeah. you know, I mean, I think people are hard on Colin Hill. I don't think he's had a lot of help from his receivers so far this year. Right. They've been plagued by the drops. So, yeah. you know, but Doty looked pretty good, and he's dynamic and can get out there and scramble around. So. Well, we will see. We shall see. Um, we shall see. Of course, USC loves to beat Georgia when they're not supposed to. No doubt. No so, doubt. Well, that's not a game Georgia could just say, hey, South Carolina's not very good. We're going to just go out there and uh, they, they love to beat it when they're not supposed to. So we'll see. We'll see how that one is. But, but hey, man, I definitely appreciate you joining on with me tonight. And, uh, and spending some time with us. We had fun. It was great. Yeah, it was definitely definitely a lot of fun. You know, I'll come over I'll come out here and talk ball with you any day you want. Good. Good. We'll definitely get you back out to to join us again as a co host. Well sounds good. Yeah. And um you know, I hope you're doing well back in the Carolinas. Okay. You know, I just wanted to say, you know, tell everybody you know, how thankful I am for you. You know, you've you've been there since I was a freshman in college for me, you know, just a phone call away and had great advice throughout the years and always been very supportive. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciated your influence. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. As you know, that's my why. I just want to be able to have a positive impact. So also I want to thank uh, DJ Turk. Um, I'm not sure if you heard uh, some of the music we had on earlier, but uh, DJ Turk definitely helped us out with that. And uh, we're going to have some more mixes by him coming in the future. Uh, I want to thank uh, one of our sponsors, Nano Air Solutions, um, who they actually deal in MERV 13 air filters. So uh, something that will actually capture the coronavirus and bacteria-sized particles. So if you need some uh, air filters, uh, definitely you can go to Nano Air Solutions. Uh, dot com, or you can also go to clearair.com 
Um, but I want to thank all of our guests for the night. We had a great night. Um, I want you to think about what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? And if you go on and solidify what your why is, then you can go on and walk in line with what your purpose is. And when you walk in line with your purpose, you're going to have a much better opportunity to be successful. And you're going to be able to do some things you didn't think you'd be able to do. But there's a lot to be done. Again, I want to thank everybody for listening in. We'll be back next week, same time. And uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Take care. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the friends. I'm the friends. My name is Everett Sands. I'm the president and founder of the West Foundation. West 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 Working people's success. What we want, what we want, what we want to do is we want to impart on these young people that we have opportunity to, uh, to coach, coach, coach. That you got to work every day. You got to work every day to be successful. You can't take any days. You can't take any days off. Even when you don't feel like getting it done, you got to get out there and do it.